and welcome to episode three of Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure on postwrestling.com. And uh, Andrew, good to be back with you. I mean, busier than ever this past week. You were, you've seemingly been <laughs> everywhere, mate. Yeah, it's been a bit a busy week, man, but I'm glad to be doing the podcast. And of course, we have two very special guests joining us today. First up, ladies and gentlemen, joining us, a very special guest. He is the founder of BlackWrestlers.com, one of the most knowledgeable individuals I know when it comes to the talented in-ring performers around the globe, talented in-ring performers of color around the globe. He's the host of the Black Wrestlers podcast, pro wrestling illustrated writer, the creator of BWI 500, and the man who almost got me ran over by Nick Gage in Las Vegas last year. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will let him tell you that story before I introduce our, our, our next guest. This is Righteous Ridge. How you doing today, my brother? I'm great. That was a phenomenal intro. I sound super cool. I can't believe how cool I am. Wow. <laughs> and you'll never, ever let me live down this Nick Gage thing, man. It wasn't my fault. I can't control Nick Gage. He's Nick Gage. He's insane. <laughs> so, so, so let me just explain to y'all what happened real quick. So we were at the Suburban Fight Show in Vegas uh, doing Double or Nothing weekend. And uh, the, the show was like in a nightclub. And they, it was like the, the, the wrestlers fought near the bar. Ridge had me standing right near when Nick Gage was coming. I'm talking about dude almost <laughs> ran right to the damn wall. I will, I will never let this man live this down, ever. Oh, man. Ever. Okay, but, okay I, I, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> but, but, but next up, next up on the line, we have one of the most entertaining podcasts out there. He is the host, a co-host of the Grapple App Spotlight Podcast, which are some of the best out there, not to mention the co-host of the British Wrestling Experience Podcast. Go out and check that out. Make sure you check out our WWF UK Rampage review. Make sure to check that out on postwrestling.com. Uh, he is a must-follow on Twitter. And also, I must mention, he is NXT UK's favorite viewer. This is Benno. What's going on, Chief? <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> he gets Nick Gage and I get NXT UK. <laughs> <laughs> I was once almost run over by Necro Butcher, so that's kind of as cool as Nick Gage. Yeah, exactly. I'll, that's I'll, that's, yeah, that's up there. Come on, then, mate. Give us that story. Necro Butcher running over. <laughs> oh, it, it connects, mate. Literally, literally, I'm here for the Ring of Honor post-wrestling takeover and yeah mid-2000s mid ROH when they used to do that uh you know they did the CZW feud I was sat front row and Necro Butcher came barreling over me to uh to climb over the guardrail genuinely the most scared I've ever been in my life that man's got an aura <laughs> not quite the Nick Gage aura but he's got an aura so you know, not as good as Nick Gage but almost yeah Benno we couldn't do a show on ROH without including you I mean you must have been one of the biggest ROH fans around 2005 to 2007 I mean uh yeah your infamous tracksuit and fighting over to America and, you know, goodness knows what. And, yeah, you must have been, like, one of the biggest ROH fans around this time period. Oh, yeah, man. To, to the point where, like, I'd be scared to look at, like, the amount of money I spent between the years 2004 <laughs> and 2007 <laughs> on DVDs, trips. You mentioned the famous tracksuit, which I don't own anymore. I'm sad I don't. Uh, CM Punk was very impressed with my tracksuit, though. Um, his comment was no, that, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, his comment was that, uh, <laughs> that Ring of Honor are even greedier than he is, uh, selling those tracksuits to marks like me. So yeah, maybe he was so impressed. Uh, but yeah, man, I, this is this is my period. This uh, this uh, era of Ring of Honor, and I was like a like say the super fan. Uh, so yeah, made up to be on here on the show. I would say let let me go ahead and jump on this because I know either Benno or Martin. I mean, but yeah, either Benno or Martin would jump on this. I was 11 years old when this show happened, when this show first happened, because I, 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 I know one of y'all going to end up saying it, so I just had to go ahead and throw that out there. So did, did you have an ROH tracksuit as well when you were 11? <laughs> <laughs> ROH baby I, 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 
I did not own it always tracks it back then. But it's it's wow. great to have you on, uh, Reg. You've obviously, been enjoying your blog uh, as Andrew mentioned. And uh, you did an interview with uh, Fred Yehi this past week. Didn't yep. You? I did. Yeah, that was great. Fred Yehi, one of the best wrestlers in the world. He came on and talked about ROH, which is funny because he was just uh, in the ROH Pure Tournament. Yeah. So we got into that. It was awesome. And as far as your ROH fandom goes, um, how far are we talking back? Were you watching um, around 2007 and 2008? Yes, I'm a long, long, long time ROH fan. Actually, some of the first tapes I ever got as tape trading were like the first three uh, shows of Ring of Honor in 2002. And uh, I was a super big SAT and Red Mark back then. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to see all the spots, all the spot fests. Mm-hmm. I actually wasn't that big of a fan of like Brian Danielson and Loki and those guys in the beginning because I didn't really get it. But then after like three months, I got it, and I was a super huge fan, and I've been a fan of ROH ever since. Yeah, because on this week's show, we are going to be going back 13 years and uh, talking about ROH's Manhattan Mayhem 2 show. And uh, I just wanted to, if you guys indulge me before we get into the wrestling part, I just wanted to set the scene a bit. 2007, we had Leona Lewis, Bleeding Love, Gwen Stefani, Sweet Escape, Sean Kingston, Beautiful Girls, and... Uh, it's Sean it's- Kingston. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that's a classic, man. Classic. Classic. Oh my goodness. Mar- 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 umbrella is, is was the biggest <laughs> oh, I mean, you could not yeah. umbrella. I think uh, we had wow. it number one here in the UK for weeks and weeks and uh, I seem to remember that it wouldn't stop raining. They even asked her in interviews, Rihanna, they were like, Oh, you know, since Umbrella's been at number one, it's raining non stop in the UK and she was like, Why, why are you asking me that? Why are you blaming me for this? <laughs> <laughs> Escape that song in 2007, I don't think. But um, any music jump out to you around this time period, Benno? Were you uh, were you listening to Gwen Stefani or Leona Lewis? Um, <laughs> Leona Lewis, actually, yeah, because it was like uh, peak X Factor years, wasn't it? Was it called X Factor then? I think it was. Pop um, Factor. Like yeah, it was kind of during that like that, that crossover period. Um, yeah, two, 2007 for me, like, uh, I don't know, I was kind of in that period where, like wrestling, I felt like, because I'm big into my rap music, and I felt like during that time, like, things were still good, but it felt like the, the glory period was over, so so it was the period where I was trying to, like, you know, get into my underground rappers, like a, like an LP, or, you know, things things like that really was kind of what I was listening to, um, you know, there was nothing, I wasn't into my mainstream rap, I suppose, uh, at that point, maybe, maybe a bit of the game, um, that type of stuff, uh, but yeah, music-wise, that's the stuff that stands out for me, me trying to, like, rekindle my love of, like, uh, of underground stuff, and it just never quite being as good as uh, as the 90s. Yeah, but, like, it's not I, the same I, when I, you're I, older, I, is it? No, no. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, 2007, that was, like, a real solid year for music. Like, and, and I know Rich can attest to this. Like, we had, like, the, uh, what came out of 07? Like, we had the International Players Anthem. Uh, yeah. what, what was that? We had A Bay Bay by uh, uh, Hurricane Chris. He he passed yeah. away recently, didn't he, too? Hurricane Chris. No, no, he just got into some legal trouble. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Hurricane Chris. I'm sorry, bro. If you, if you, if you listen to this, I apologize. <laughs> I did not mean to put that on your name. But, this but, is yeah, Hurricane uh, Chris's favorite podcast, so I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, it, it was it was a lot of solid music. That that was when Kanye was still in his right right state of mind back then somewhat. And he was, Kanye was killing it back then, you know, and 50 Cent was hot. We had the, uh, 
Well, I think one of my favorite songs of 2007 was uh, Paper Planes by M.I.A. I don't know why I used to love that song so much. But that yeah, song was that was a dope song. <laughs> I think that was when 50 Cent and Kanye faced off to release yeah. an album. Yeah, that was a really mm. good time for music, actually. That Kanye West album is one of the best. Graduation, mm. I think it is. Oh, is that the second album of Kanye's? I, I'll, I'll lose track. I think it's the third one. He's been around for a lot longer than I thought he had been. But um, as well as music, I mean, uh, movie-wise, the uh, big hits of that year were I Am Legend, Knocked Up, Spider-Man 3, Shrek the Third, and the f- first Transformers reboot. I mean, looking back through the top films of that year, Reg, it was a pretty weak year for movies if you're looking at the top 10 box office of 2007. Yeah, I'm not really interested in too many of those that you said, so you're right, I think. <laughs> I mean, I get- I guess I watched Knocked Up if I of any of those movies like since then, but you know the Transformers stuff I never really got into it. It wasn't wasn't really my vibe. That Michael Bay explosions every five minutes. I'm like ah, not really for me. <laughs> no, not for me either. I completely agree with you on that. <laughs> but uh, finally, I just uh, want to set the sports out because uh, Andrew the Spurs thrashed the Cavs to win the uh, NBA title. Ah, uh, uh, complete here we go. Here we go. Look, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, it, it is the hardest thing in the world being a Cavaliers fan. Like, I'm I'm kind of ashamed of, of my fandom because it's like the up and down years. And then we had the, the arguably the, one of the greatest back, or if not the greatest basketball player of this generation, and only got who well, we got two championships out of that. Mm. One, maybe I can't even remember, but one, it, one the Cleveland Cavaliers getting yeah one because I remember yeah it was the year he came back and then we lost the next year. But being a Cavaliers fan is not the uh, not the not the easiest thing to do. And uh, Indianapolis Colts won the Super Bowl. Man United won the Premier League. Floyd Mayweather had his, I think it was his first super fight against Oscar De La Hoya. And then the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. So uh, any sporting memories stick out from 2007 for you, Benno? Uh, I was going to say, similar to that story, I'm an Everton fan, so not really. Um, but we were in the rebuilding phase, you know, David Moyes had, uh, had taken over. He's bringing in some uh, some good players. We have... Phil Neville is our captain. I don't think that's that, that glorious, unfortunately. But you know, we're putting, we're putting the pieces together to have a to have a good team for the uh, the next few years. They're kind of the uh, the biggest memories for me. Like I think it was the year after I grabbed my my Everton season ticket again for the uh, the glory days of us finishing fourth and fifth and sixth. Um, like that was a a huge achievement. So that was my uh, that was my big memory of that. Reg, are you a are you a basketball fan or an American football fan? Uh yeah, during that time I was a huge American football fan, and the the Indianapolis Colts were my team. So 2007 was actually you bringing all this stuff up. I'm like, wow, 2007 was a pretty big year for sports. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't think have the Colts been anywhere near since then. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was all downhill from there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my New York. Paid, Ma- paid Manning was like, I'm out of here. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. You see. Are you a Giants fan, Martin? Oh, yeah. Not not through choice. Basically, I've got a load of relatives who live in New Jersey. And so whenever I used to go and visit them, they'd uh, drag me to the old Giants stadium, plonk me right at the top in the middle of November with two beers in my hand, me freezing my arse off and, like, wondering what the hell was going on. I enjoy it a lot more now, but at that time, I was like, I have no idea what this game is about. And yeah, yeah. And that was in the real dark days. I think they had some dude called Tiki was a big player, and I remember the first game. I went yeah, to, Tiki Barber. Yeah, it was against the Patriots, and they got absolutely thrashed. And 
It was freezing cold, <laughs> New Jersey in November, and I was like, Jesus, what have they dragged me to here? But a nice piece of Americana, and then I slowly got more into it as the Giants got better and better, and I've been a fan ever since. <laughs> yeah, I've got a similar story for me. Like, my friends I used to visit, like, I always used to go to Wisconsin, and people would always say, like, you're going all the way to America, and you're going to fucking Wisconsin. <laughs> but I did go to Chicago a little bit too, New York, that type of thing, like, a couple of years before, and they were just big Packers fan and big Milwaukee Bucks fan. So, like, I've kind of taken that on as, like, they're my teams, but I couldn't tell you the fucking thing about them, really. Um, <laughs> I, I float in and out, though, when it comes to the American football. I like watching Red Zone every now and then, so, you know, it's... Uh, I kind of I kind of get the rules now, but, yeah, I definitely haven't got uh, that big knowledge, uh, like you say there, Martin. It's, uh, it's never quite come for me. No, I remember you used to have shows for us Brits and back in the day explaining all the... When uh, they first yeah. started showing it over here, explaining all the rules and how it all worked and things like that, which um, was quite amusing, but... Um, yeah, like Carlson is a sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, before, you know, we get on to the main show, I just wanted to ask you guys where you were at with Wrestling 2007, because for me, I was having a bit of a break. I was still keeping up with everything via uh, Power Slam and the like, but not really going to shows or getting any tapes or anything. Uh, I mean, in 2005 and 2006, that was when I was going to a lot of 1PW shows in Doncaster. That was the big... Indie around my local parts, they used to fetch over the likes of AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and things like that until they ran out of money. And I was getting a ton of DVDs and things like that. But as far as 2007 goes, I think I had a bit of a, a burnout. But um, Reg, I mean, you were talking earlier about how you're a big ROH fan. Were you watching all sorts of wrestling in 2007? Uh, yeah, I had actually just got into getting some DVDs in some questionable ways that I don't think we could discuss here. <laughs> But I came into a lot of Ring of Honor shows. They had some Ring of Honor UK shows that were actually super amazing during that time. You guys are probably uh, aware of those. And uh, it was a big year. The Briscoes headlined this this show. And it was a big year for the Briscoe brothers. And I just remember being really into all of everything that they were doing during that time. So, yeah, I was ROH was, was probably, at that time, one of the best wrestling feds in the world, for me at least. Were you managing to get too many live shows or anything like that? Uh, just like uh, when WWE would come for house shows or they would come for SmackDown. They would come to where I lived twice a year for, uh, for shows, so I would always go to those. Um, and then I had just started going to PWG regularly again during that time, too. So, yeah, I was out at some local shows, too. Oh, wow, PWG in 2007. I bet you had, like, an all-star team of indie names going to those, didn't you? Um, no, it was, they, they were in like a transition phase actually during that time where they were going from, they had, they were booking a lot of local SoCal guys. Right. And then a few, a few months or year, uh, a year or so later, they started to book the bigger names or the names that we know now as the bigger names. And what about you, Andrew? I know you said earlier you're only 11, <laughs> but you started watching wrestling and things around that point. Yeah, I, I, I would say around this point, I was like sort of in my transition phase kind of expanding and started to find out about more wrestling but i would say primarily it was like you know wwe tna and i was you know kind of expanding my fandom a little bit but it was more so just those two particular you know particular promotions benno had you stepped through the ropes and started training to be a wrestler by this point yeah that's my that's my peak here 2007 oh we're talking about becoming wrestlers i didn't get to get my shit in if we're talking about becoming uh, yeah wrestlers. Uh, Hold on, wait, because we we, we got to hear about this. Uh, and Mark, Mar- since you brought up Benno first, I'm going to go to Benno. Benno, you were training to be a wrestler? Because I, I knew about Ridge. 
Yeah, like I, at that time, like 2006, 2007 is when I was training with uh, GPW and Wigan over here. I had a couple wow. of matches that year. I was terrible. Um, I was like, <laughs> the worst thing about it was I was a massive Ring of Honor fan at this time. So CM Punk had just made his WWE debut like in those couple of years. So I just completely ripped off his entire act without the tattoos oh. or the oh, charisma great. or the skill. <laughs> so like, you see pictures of me back then. I'm literally wearing the same uh, trunks as CM Punk. I've got my wrist tape on like, like when it looks like he's got two broken arms like CM Punk did back then. <laughs> I was doing all of his moves just badly. Um, so yeah, that was like my my big period really with uh, with GPW up in Wigan, where yeah, I basically I think I think I maybe won one match in a in a tag, but everything else was uh, was me staring up uh, at the lights and uh, and getting jobbed out in uh, in two thousand and seven GPW. Like wow. Brit Res was, wasn't even good that bet back then. That no. kind of show that shows why I was able to get on shows. <laughs> you, you know the standard back then. I wouldn't have got on shows in these last few years, but yeah, that was like the, that was my peak though. And for you, Ridge, of course, like everybody can go check out uh, Ridge, Righteous Ridge on Twitter. You can see some of his uh, his, his early days uh, stepping into the ring, uh, power slamming oh. people through chairs and all, <laughs> like all this crazy stuff. So, 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 Ridge, tell us about how you, you know, you guys kind of got your foot in the door as far as, you know, training for professional wrestling. Well, way, way, way back in the day when Andrew probably wasn't even born or he was like a baby or something. And like 1999, I started backyard wrestling. So, you know. That was uh, a big thing for me for a bunch of years, probably for like two or three years. I would backyard wrestle every single weekend. And then when I turned like 16, maybe, I found like a shady wrestling promoter that was like, oh, yeah, we do wrestling shows over here, blah, blah, blah. So I started training there. I trained for like a year, but the, the training was awful. The guy was one of those carny guys. So I never really did anything significant except for like defeating the human tornado. I don't know if you guys know who the human tornado is. Oh, yeah. One time, yeah. Like yeah. One time we had a match and I beat him. That's my claim to fame is I defeated wow. former PWG world champion, the human tornado. And I always tell people about it. That it's like my Al Bundy moment that I'll never, ever stop telling. I love it. Yeah, you need to do like that. <laughs> you do like degrees of separation. If you beat Homer, Human Tornado, he probably beat like Kevin Owens at some point. Exactly. You beat, like, you, you can keep going there. You, you can easily get to like Flair, Hogan. Right. <laughs> You're better than all of them. I think that's how it works. Martin, exactly how it works. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Martin, I beat Hulk Hogan somehow. <laughs> I, I think I, I think we all would like to beat up on Hogan Red. <laughs> but, but Martin, I was going to ask you, you got something you want to tell me you was a professional wrestler too, man? Oh, no, no, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Way too lazy for any of that. I didn't do any karate or wrestling or anything. No, I did, I did boxing for a couple of years at uh, Brendan Ingalls okay. gym in Sheffield who trained uh, Prince Nazim and uh, Kel Brook and the like. So, yeah, that was yeah, that's, uh, one thing that I used to do. But I think it was just on Saturday mornings when I was a teenager, uh, when Prince Nazim was really famous, me and all my mates were mm -hmm. like, well, that gym's like near our house, let's go. And then, you know, we didn't do a great deal. And then we discovered going out and drinking instead. So, yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that was my boxing dream over and done with in about two years. But, yeah, nothing like that. What about you, Andrew? Ever, ever fancied uh, stepping through the ropes yourself? Nah, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't even think about it, man. I swear, I feel like if I if I ever tried to take a bump on a man, man, I lose all the wind in my stomach. Yeah, you, 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 you might know what's crazy. Like, uh, I have like this one vivid memory. 
in 2007. I remember I was outside uh, this apartment building and my father used to live in and I was standing uh, I, I was standing uh, right near the railing and, and, and like right by the steps. And I remember I let go of the railing for some, I, I don't know why, I let go of the railing and then I slipped and my stomach hit, hit the like the, the, uh, the concrete and then I fell back uh, and hit the ground. Dude, when I say that was like top five most scariest moments of my life, and it's like burned into my memory, and I just know it was 2007. That was like that. To, that 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 ruined 2007 for me. Ruined. Wow, it. that's ruined triggering it. for this podcast. We're doing 2007 ROH, and you're just triggered, triggered. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So whenever you're reviewing a show and people are saying you've never took a bump, you can bring that up. Yeah, <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I go with that. I say people say that to me. I'm like, yeah, I've took a bump, and I still don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Like, go listen to Pollock and Ting or Meltzer or something. Don't listen to me. <laughs> oh my goodness! This right, you can't trust everyone who's taken a bump. That's not a good, a good measure of who can talk about pro wrestling because there's some very awful guys who've taken a lot of bumps, and I don't want to hear anything that they have to say. So, I mean, so you mentioned like, your shady promoter. I don't think they come any other way, do they? Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, I suppose we can't uh, really talk wrestling in 2007, obviously, without, uh, you know, the Chris Benoit situation that came in June. It seemed to uh, cast a, a whole shadow over not only in 2007, but for many years to come. And, and Reg, um, I think that affected a lot of people's fandom. I know people who've, uh, who stopped watching wrestling back then who, who don't even watch it to this day because of, uh, of the memories of Benmore and things like that. Yeah, I know a lot of people that were just turned off by the whole situation. It was such a weird time. <laughs> wrestling was in this like yeah. weird, weird place. Uh, the, people were in and out of kind of liking it. And then that moment happened. And then every it was on every news channel. Every every time you turn on the TV, someone was talking about it. And I was, people were calling me that I hadn't talked to for like five years and being like, did you hear about Benoit? Did you hear about this? And I'm like, whoa, this, this is crazy. But all of them were absolutely turned off by the entire situation. And it's insane to even think about watching that dark side of the ring that just happened re- recently. Yeah. Just bringing back all that up is like, whoa, this was the absolute most insane moment in wrestling history, for sure. For me, I think, you know, time I came up watching wrestling. Like, I, I think this, like, specifically, like, that period, and I, I wanted to ask Benno this, like, Benno, when you kind of see, especially with the Benoit thing, like, when you see the mainstream starting to get into it, and it kind of, you, 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 I think we all know how most mainstream used to feel about professional wrestling. I think that's starting to change just a little bit, but we all know how they kind of feel about the sport overall. Benno, when, when, when this happened, do you think it just made, like, it just put, like, an even like more negative spotlight on on the sport of professional wrestling as a whole oh totally like you'd see like you know Geraldo covering it and i'd be staying up till four in the morning uk time watching you know the news coverage on fox cnn even covering this as a story and it wasn't just that the story was awful it was mm-hmm. like wrestling the way wrestling reacted to it was awful like yeah, sending right. the likes of ken anderson on tv to be like we don't take steroids and then a month later getting cracked for steroids you know it was right like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It was a lot of that and for me at the time like as someone who was wrestling like i'm going to the wrestling school and stuff it it made wrestling feel dirty like that's that's Kind of like the first half of 2007's all roses for me is like one of my favorite years uh, in my life, really. And then the second half is kind of like, I honestly think the Benoit issue, similar to maybe speaking out this year, I think like you both said, it, it's got that, 
it's got it had that effect on so many people, fans and wrestlers like alike. Like for me, as a you know, to the subject matter as a hardcore ROH fan, it because Benoit was like he was when it came to work rate and that style of wrestling, he was god, wasn't he? There was no one better. Every yeah, indie wrestler, like... you, every indie wrestler you liked wanted to be Benoit. So then ROH exists because of Chris totally. Benoit, pretty much, you know, totally. And you and you watch those like those ROH shows after Benoit, like this one. And it just feels weird kind of watching them thinking like after trying to enjoy it even because of that, because there's still like there's that cloud over that style of hardcore wrestling and you know what what Benoit's life led to, you know, with his pursuit of being the best in the best in the world at that style. And yeah, I think it just really for me the biggest thing is it made wrestling feel dirty that year. And it for me personally as a fan and as someone who was working at the time, it, it took a few years to kind of pull me back in fully. I feel like tail end of this year was actually where I disengaged from wrestling for a couple of years for the first time in my mm. entire life. Right. Yeah, it just felt like, you know, obviously everything changes with time and I still think we think about it to these days, but especially in 2007, every time you saw someone like take a, a hard bump or, or take a chair shot to the head or anything that was to do with like, you know, or a diving headbutt or anything like that, you were constantly thinking about, oh, well, that's how Chris Benoit ended up the way he did. You know what I mean? Every time you're watching anything like that, it was constantly in your memory. And it was, it was as much as I was taking a bit of a break from it, I was like watching little bits here and there, but that was always fresh in your memory. And you were like, is it even worth it? Is this, you know, for my entertainment, you know, when this is happening to sort of like wrestlers and things like that? Yeah, I definitely think. I think this, like the Benoit case and, you know, his family passing away, I think that's going to be like one of the more relevant topics in professional wrestling as long as this sport continues going on. Like, it, I think they just had that much of an impact on professional wrestling as a whole. And it's just like that that, that whole situation, like, you know, as Beno mentioned, uh, it, it kind of made professional wrestling sour a little bit. And it made it kind of weird to watch, and you kind of felt bad about watching it a little bit just because of everything that was going on. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that's going to be a topic for many, many years to come. I think it was the same with speaking out this year as well, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. kind of like for ages, I was like, I don't even know if I want to watch so, wrestling again. So, so right. just just, uh, just to touch on that, like, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts about it. Cool. I'm, I'm sure I know you guys have covered it on the British Wrestling Experience podcast and on the Grapple mm-hmm. App uh, podcast, but like, n- not necessarily about speaking out in general, but like, how, how how did you guys feel, both both you and uh, Martin? How did you guys feel that the the wrestlers handled uh, speaking out? Like you know the 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 prominent names that have those big platforms. Like how do you feel like they they sort of uh, you know tried to alleviate the situation or you know did their best to help or, or didn't really help at all? Yeah, I think I think the problem we got was that we Brit Rez this year needed leaders and we didn't really get them. I think mm. we got we got a lot of strong, brave women and a lot of strong victims coming forward and making themselves, you know, the unfortunately front and center for this story this year. But you're right, you know, uh, your likes of uh, Zach Sabre Junior, you know, hasn't logged into Twitter since June. Um, oh and I know, and there's no, you know, okay, fine, he doesn't want to speak about this. He's probably too close right. to the story. But he's someone who's mm. very vocal on, on many other similar issues in the lead up to speaking out. You know, right. why would any of us why would any of us listen to him now? Like he doesn't feel like a leader anymore. Um the problem is, I'm sure Martin, I'll agree, a lot of like the big names either got implicated in it or people they were close to got implicated in it. And I Ooh. I do feel like a lot of people have taken the easy way out and stayed quiet because there aren't any shows to worry about this year and they can kind of hide in plain sight. And um, yeah, I think that's it. It's been it's been a letdown overall, hasn't it, Mark? 
Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. And I do think it's that whole thing in wrestling, like, oh, if we don't talk about this, then it'll go away. But I think people now, you know, mm-hmm. in the age of social media and things like that, people aren't going to let this uh, go away, are they? But I want to ask Reg, I mean, obviously, it was a, a huge story around the world, like speaking out and things. And obviously, you mentioned PWG earlier. Was it a big thing on the... Uh, Californian wrestling scene. I know we haven't been having many shows this year and things, but it was a, um, a big story sort of out where you are. Yeah, they were, there were women coming out. I mean, I guess the biggest name to come out of California wrestling was, of course, Joey Ryan. He was attached mm. to, oh my God, an unbelievable amount of women wrestlers in mm. California, all over the world, it looks like. And it's just nasty. That's pretty much what it all comes down yeah. to. And the whole thing made me feel really gross. And like you were saying, it's crazy because it felt like the on the Brit wrestling side, it was a little bit bigger. You guys even had like news coverage. I see, I saw some stories yeah. Yeah. come out mm-hmm. and it didn't seem as big in America. And in America, there was a lot of disgusting things going on. And there's still stories coming out of, of people doing disgusting absolutely terrible things mm-hmm. and and i i just hate i hate to see it i wish like you guys are saying more prominent wrestlers were coming out and saying like yo this needs to change because i think with the with the brit wrestlers the guys that were exposed were like huge they were big names and you know that they interacted with every every name that you know zach saber jr interacted with all these guys that, that yeah. were mm-hmm. that were exposed and that's why it's so unfortunate that you know, situations are happening like in his hit, in his case, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it'll be interesting to see where everything goes once, uh, you know, sort of like we're out of uh, COVID if we ever get out of it and, uh, you know, things go back to some sort of like new, new normalcy. But, um, I suppose moving on to the uh, the show that we're here to talk about. And, um, I mean, we talked fandom earlier and, um, Obviously, Reg mentioned his ROH fandom and Benno, and you mentioned yours. Because, um, obviously, we're here to talk about the uh, second edition of the Manhattan Mayhem show, and there have been five in total. Uh, the first one happened in 2005, and 2005 one, Benno, was widely seen as sort of like one of the best sort of like top-to-bottom ROH shows. Would you say that's a, a fair comment? Yeah, it's like the benchmark for the ROH show in that period. And there's nothing on that show where you go, oh, that's a five-star match. It's just a show that just flows perfectly. Like, it's built around this Samoa Joe, Jay Lethal story with uh, with Homicide and Loki being the big bads in uh, in New York, leading to just this fire tag match with that. That gif everyone's probably seen with Homicide doing the cop killer to Jay Lethal at the same time as Loki <laughs> doing the double stomp to Joe Lethal. Like, yeah. I remember that. I remember being on the ring on a message board and seeing, like, the that's how it was back then. Uh, you know, it, it took a few weeks for the DVD to come out. And there right. were spoilers about, oh, explaining the finisher and me trying to get my brain around the fact. No, there's no way Loki did a double stop at the same time as Homicide with the cock cut. And then, and then I finally got the DVD three weeks later. I was like, wow, that was as good as I thought it was. But I, that, that's funny because that, that takes me back to how you just described the message board. The first time they ever described Rob Van Dam doing the Van Terminator, mm-hmm. reading about that and being like, what are you guys even saying? He goes from one side of the ring to the other. He can't do that. Oh, <laughs> and then finally God. seeing it, 
finally seeing it being like, whoa, he really did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the same thing. It was a power slam magazine. I read that in a set in the same way. Like, there's no way that's real. And then it's real. Um, yeah, this had that same effect. And that gift still does the rounds now, like 15 years later. But I think the, the legacy of that show is it's, it's the fact that every match is really pacey and a lot of the big na- names are actually missing on that show. There's no Danielson. There's no Punk. Um, but it's just built around a really good story. Um, um, sorry, correct myself. There is a, there's that Punk uh, dog collar match, isn't there? That he is in the in the mid card. But again, it's not really like a a huge like. It's not like it's main evented by Danielson v Danielson v Punk or Danielson v Joe or something or some kind of five star classic. Yeah. It's just a hot show in front of a hot crowd, similar to what we got in 2007. Um, that flies by, uh, and I'll take that any day over you know a match with five star classics on. Uh, just a, a, a breezy brilliant just less than three hour show to watch so big shoes to fill uh in 2007 for sure which is what was there a lot of pressure on this show because obviously using that name again and obviously everyone had big memories from two years previously yeah i think it, it just creates that you know that's probably the reason there wasn't a 2006 version it gives you like that expectation level doesn't it um it's not like this was like a yearly event like you know like a final battle was every december it was more we've got a big show in new york let's call it manhattan mayhem um, but yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have done it because uh, it is so well regarded in a, in ROH fan circles. But you know, as we'll get into, I don't think it was a it was a you know hit in any way. If anything, I think it probably lived up to it. So yeah, this was the second edition on the 25th of August at the Manhattan Center in New York. Uh, obviously, this is a really famous venue for wrestling. Uh, it housed the first Raw and then the uh, Hammerstein Ballroom, which is located in the center, had the. Uh, First two ECW one-night stand events. Uh, I've walked past it a couple of times. I've been in myself. Um, has anyone been to this famous wrestling building to see any wrestling? Yes, I have. I went to uh, WrestleMania in New York. Mm. I think it was four or five years. It's been a couple of years now. And there was a Ring of Honor TV taping there. I remember the match that sticks out is Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards because they did some insane, like, brain buster off the apron onto the floor it was something like they shouldn't do this but they did it and we all went crazy but yeah it was cool like riding up you have to like ride up an elevator to get to the to get to where the manhattan center is because there's a couple different places inside there so i was like i remember being in the elevator and being like oh i think bret hart probably rode in the same elevator one time (laughs) back in the day Just some, like, nerdy Mark stuff. You know, no big deal. <laughs> I was like that at and Hall in January, walking up those stairs and seeing all the graffiti and everything. And then I saw a, a post-wrestling sticker in there that I think WH Park oh, wow. a few months. He, he, he ruined the magic. WH Park was like, yeah, I put that there a few months ago. I was like, oh, I thought just some random fan had uh, placed that. But, yeah, I know what you mean, going to these uh, old-school wrestling buildings and, uh, you know remembering everything that's gone on gone on before then but um i mean on to the show itself and on commentary we've got uh larry dallas and dave prazak um i feel like this is a team that doesn't get much talk andrew as far as some commentary teams go but how did you think they uh they went on through this show like throughout the show i really did think they did a solid job on commentary overall hold on wait so so wait Excuse, excuse my age if i, if I give this wrong but like so i, I thought gabe sapolsky was a, a commentator for ring of honor uh Back, back, back in on this period, he was a very bad commentator. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> thankfully during this period, I think he realized that like he was 
just not very good at it. Um, yeah, he, he was he was always kind of in and out during Ringham. He wouldn't do every single show, but he would like come uh, in for big matches or like big moments that he he needed to get over himself. I think, but he always was never really that great of a commentator. So I think it worked out. Yeah, that's it. He was. I think you could tell he was in Prozac's ear all of the time. Right. And every now and then, like you say, he'd jump in the booth, wouldn't he, just to fill in some story because he just he just had to and he couldn't yeah. let go. Um, but no, I think leaving it, uh, it was Prezak and it was Lenny Leonard on this one. Uh, Prezak and Lenny Leonard were the best, best indie yeah. for me, the best indie like combo ever. Like they did their, uh, they were both all over those uh, those GCW shows a few weeks ago, and um, we got a little bit of a a sneak of what that team would sound like in 2020. I'd take them on any show, even now, you know, 13 years later. Yeah, Lenny Leonard's tremendous. He's one of the best for sure. Is this scene as sort of like the classic ROH commentary team then, would you say? Yeah, but they didn't. I think the problem was, like I say, Gabe wouldn't get out of the booth for such a long time. And then, when, <laughs> you know, then he did. And then, you know, it was, you know, the year after this when Gabe left and Prezak got teamed up with, what was his name? Mike Hodgewood for the TV. <laughs> That Slap guy the porpoise, or whatever, whatever he would say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that guy was so clueless. And we didn't yeah, really that get guy. that long run. Yeah, but like, uh, it should have been. Like, it, it, this should have been the ROH commentary scene for sure. In the first match, we had uh, Mad Dog Matt Cross and Eric Stevens against Mike Quackenbush and Jigsaw. And I mean, let's get into it first. I found this a bit hard to watch. I mean, you're going to have yeah. to be yeah. yeah. accused of arbitrary racist, uh, and arbitrary uh, a racist, homophobic, and abusive culture in Chikara, and obviously he's since been accused of using his influence to get with trainees. So um, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of find it hard to watch matches with people who are accused of speaking out now. So I suppose let's. Uh, yeah jump away from quack and butchers i mean for the rest of the performers i mean you can tell watching a, a mid-2000s indie year i mean pleather played a big part in this show and uh jigsaw was uh was there with his, his pleather trousers but um as far as the match goes for it was an okay opener crowd was crowd was pretty hot here benno yeah that's it it was you know it's hard isn't it i mean the crowd was hot because <laughs> quack and bush was in there um, <laughs> i mean i mean it's you know at that period it was a weird, like, Quackenbush and Hero for a few years were, like, the guys that, that Gabe never used. And he'd started to use them, like, in the in the time leading up to this. And, yeah, at the time, it was seen as this big deal, like the Shikara guys in ROH. And, you know, they were getting great rep- responses um, for being in there. Obviously, with today's eyes, it, it doesn't look so good. Um, but it was, it was a... It was very Chikara of the match, to be honest. A lot of like fun tag shenanigans and you know fun near falls in there. And you know we got the the family food guy and an M Dog as a team on there as well, which I'd forgotten was even a a thing in ROH in, in those days. Um, so yeah, you know the the member of, the, of this match that uh, that obviously aside that uh, we don't want to talk about too much. It still was mm. it was a fun tag. And Jigsaw was so great as well. I always wish uh, Jigsaw got a got a proper run in ROH. Yeah, Andrew, yeah. Brad Cross seems to be everywhere now, doesn't he? I think he's uh, appearing in like, promotions all over the world. Have you had a chance to see much of his stuff? Yeah, man, I think Matt Cross, didn't he wrestle for the NWA? It was either earlier this year or late late, late, late 2019, I yeah. think he wrestled for the NWA. Like, he's still, Matt Cross is still around, but uh, I think I think Jigsaw wrestled earlier this year for Shakara. I believe he did. And I, I was like, I was like, how old was Jigsaw back then? Because I know now he's only still in his 30s. So I was just like, how old was he back then if he was, you know, if he's only in his 30s now and he's, you know, obviously still wrestling. 
He'll be one of them who started when they were eighteen or something, won't he? So yeah, he'll um, he'll, he'll have been around forever. But um, as far as an mm-hmm. opening match goes on our OH show, how do you think this stands up, Reg? Uh, it was a pretty pretty run of the mill type tag match to start it all. Um, ROH would start a lot of their shows like this just to kind of get the crowd hot. Like you guys are saying, uh, awkwardly, Mike Quackenbush was pretty pretty popular during the time and. And people wanted to see him in ROH because he hadn't been, and they wanted to see how his mm-hmm. style would go with the rest of the the rest of the wrestlers here in ROH. But yeah, I wrote down for this Team Chikara awkward because this <clears> is very <throat> awkward to watch. Just watching Mike Quackenbush do anything now is just like I don't know. I might want to stay away from it. But seeing chubby Eric Stevens is always cool. Got to got to make that up. Yeah, it, it was what, it was fifteenth retirement this year. Yeah. <laughs> very popular yes. on Instagram, Martin. Come on. Yes, yes. He has it, delicious it, cookies. It, mm-hmm. it, it was one spot during this match that I really did. Like it was when uh J- Jigsaw he had cross uh set up for like that um what, 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 they, they they called it some it, it was they called it, it was like the name of a drink that that they called it, it was um g- gin and tonic gin and tonic that's what they called it and he like set him up for that and then Steven came came over and clotheslined him and then Cross turned it into like a cold red that shit was greatness I was like oh, oh my yeah God. I, that I was, was like oh my goodness. <laughs> that was it. great spot yeah so uh, good opener to warm the crowd up and next up we had a uh, Jimmy Jacobs against Mitch Franklin and um. Seems, uh, listening to the commentary, this is Jimmy making his comeback to the company here. And um, I've got to be honest, not following much of ROH around this time, I hadn't seen uh, Mitch Franklin before. Um, I think he was in the company up until about 2014 later as uh, Grizzly Redwood, uh, so I was reading earlier. But um, again, again, nothing to shout about here. Fairly quick match. Uh, Franklin playing the sort of like plucky up-and-comer, but Rave uh, made quick work of him here, Benno. Yeah, this was Jimmy Jacobs making kind of his return because he was going to be the mastermind behind the age of the hall later on in the year. I think was the idea. So, uh, like, did, did, I was about to say, okay. this is a chime. I was going. I, no, I was going to ask you, Ben. I was like, did, did Jimmy Jacobs? Didn't he? Did, did he have like a? Uh, he he tore his ACL or something like that. Yeah, I think he had some personal issues as well at the time, which has okay, been okay. an issue with Jacobs through his career. But yeah, this was him coming out because it felt out of place. He came out to that Ballad of Lacey song. I don't know if you guys have, uh, have ever seen that music video. It was one of the early wrestling viral videos where it was like this uh, this you know fake love song that he made for, uh, for Lacey, the ROH wrestler. Like it's a legendary thing. Uh, at least it was in ROH circles back then. Um, when he when he left ROH, I think in like 2012, we did like a a big reunion with Lacey, and she did like a big goodbye thing, and you could tell everyone in that crowd had no idea what was going on or who these people were. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was like it, you know the, the difference in generations was very stark at that point. But yeah. as an old man, I've got uh, I've got big memories of it, and yeah, I think this was just here just to establish Jacobs was back, keep him in the back of everyone's mind for that big story later on, and like you said, Martin. Mitch Franklin was just one of the uh, the graduates of the ROH school. He was uh, similar to Pele Primo, just a, a fun job guy to have around that could uh, get in there and you know get squashed in a in a one star match in a couple of minutes. You reminded me then about when Ultimo Dragon returned to Dragon Gate, I think last year or the year before, and like none of the fans were like, so who's this? Who cares? You know, what I mean, you know, Toya Mom was years ago, and I think they had a lot of new fans around that time, so he's supposed to be like his big comeback and like. The fans like barely reacted to it. I say, but Buzz cut Tom said clear was the best part of this match. I'm not gonna lie to you. When I saw that, I was like, <laughs> "What in the hell?" I was like, <laughs> "He's had some looks over the years, him." 
Yeah, after go. watching this show, I uh, I was saying after watching this match, actually, I was just thinking how ahead of his time Jimmy Jacobs was. You brought up the the Lacey viral video. He was doing a lot of things that I that are popular now. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, he was doing promos himself. He was uh, trying to shoot all these kind of different crazy angles. And I think if he was in his prime right now, maybe not right now during this pandemic phase, but you know when when wrestling is 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 going, he would be one of the main stars just because he n- really knew how to get himself over. Yeah, definitely. I feel like um, sort of like Jimmy Jacobs was doing those sort of things in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight over there in the US, and I also feel Benno that uh, Spud now Drake Maverick was doing a similar thing over here in the UK. He seemed to be the first guy to like latch on to like doing his own promos and music videos and things on YouTube. And I feel like the, those mm. two were the sort of like first guys doing anything like that. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And like, and Jacobs as well, like similar to Spud, like an undersized underdog kind of guy who needed to, to do stuff like that. The problem with him right. was as, as an undersized dude like that, you're getting beat up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think like his career was ever going to be long, but what a mind for wrestling. Like it's no, it's no, what did he work as a WWE writer? I think he was yeah. an impact producer until recently. I don't know if he's still there. You know, he's done production all over wrestling. Like he's someone who people look at as a real, like great mind for the business. You maybe even if physically he never, uh, never stuck around. Reg, what would you say is legacy will be in, in ROH? Um, I think the Age of the Fall stuff, people yeah. look back on pretty fondly um, if those fans are still around. But, but mostly that, I think, because that, that on the internet, that was pretty huge. We were all kind of like, what is this? What is mm-hmm. like collectively confusing? Like the ROH message board and all that. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it was really interesting to see. I think it, people always will look back fondly on that. And next up, we had uh, BJ Whitmer, Adam Pearce, and Brent Albright against Nigel McGuinness, Delirious, and uh, Pele Prima. And Whitmer gets on the mic to lambast the crowd. I thought his mic work was uh, it was pretty good here before the Babyface team came out. Um, really surprised to see Nigel here in a small role. Um, Benno, were his, were his bigger matches with Brian to come, Brian rather, to come later on this year? Yeah, they would, I think they were just cooling him off for a while. Um you know, he, not even for a while, just for the show, giving him something to do uh, in a throwaway six man. Because yeah, he has the big matches with Morishima. You know, after this and before this, and he is like a he is still a, he's a top guy at this point. Um, but yeah, I think for me the biggest thing about this match, I was just looking. You read the names in that six man. It's it's Adam Pierce, who's now WWE Office and basically SmackDown GM. BJ Whitner, who's AEW Office. Yep. Delirious, who's the Ring of Honor Booker. Nigel, who's a WWE commentator. Um, obviously, unfortunately, Brent Albright has passed since this time. You know, mm. even Pelly Primo, he's been in the news this year. Is you know, he's someone getting sued by Joey Ryan. So, plug for him if you want to support him. Support his Twitch streams because yeah. he's uh, <laughs> he's in the legal battle of his life this year. But what a list of names that is! Like, uh, I didn't even realize it going in that. Yeah, how many you know big hitters in uh, in wrestling today were in this six month? Yeah, that's that's crazy that you mentioned that and how these most of these guys are like in these. Uh, corporate roles, I should say, like and producers and commentators and backstage. See, it's just crazy to see like the, the the trajectory and the career transitions that each of them had made and like since like since this this time period. Yeah, because Reg, other than Nigel, did any of these guys really make um, a big splash in ROH? Um, a big splash. That's probably a little. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> BJ Whitmer is probably the one that did the most out of the six of these guys. He had a, speaking of Jimmy Jacobs, him and Jimmy Jacobs had some insane matches together. There's that gif of him powerbombing Jimmy Jacobs off the top rope oh. onto the floor. So, 
Yeah, I think he, out of all these guys, he's probably the one that did the most in ROH, or unless you count Delirious, who's the booker now. But I don't know. That's a... That, that's another <laughs> podcast to get into ROH booking delirious. So, you know, <laughs> like, I, I remember those, um, those BJ, Jimmy Jacobs matches, like BJ, you know, that the one you mentioned, the cage bump, I think BJ yeah. broke his leg. Cause I remember yeah. being at like, oh. a, like an ROH after party around the time. And um, one of our best friends at the time, Justin, one of the lads from Wisconsin went up to BJ. He had like a broken leg. He was in a cast. He was like, Hey BJ, uh, you good. And BJ just looked at me like, <laughs> no, I just stared a hole through him. And, like, it was so funny. We still laugh about that to this day. He made him feel so small, but he had a broken leg. He was having a bad day. So, so I, I was I was debating on if I should if I should bring this up or not. But at, like at every time I see Nigel, like even 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 to the like even when he was uh still like or commentating on uh, NXT in the US, like the first thing that always comes to my head was when he was with, uh, in that promo with with Lethal and Flair. And TNA, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people really caught what he said, and it, it, it was so wild. And like I, I, I still think about it to this day. He was like, um, he, he was like, I'm, I'm here to make a name for myself or something along those lines. And he was telling Jay Lethal, he was like, you need to take that ghetto booty back to Space Mountain. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> but, but, but no, this was the funniest part. Like when he said it. It, it was one of those moments, like, I think we all probably had these moments when you say something, you know you fucked up. And he, he like, he, he, he paused real quick. But AJ Styles was in the background grinning. He was like, you damn right. He was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> I'll get over that. Anyway, oh, my. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was a, an enjoyable brawl here, Reg, but nothing to really write home about, was it? Yeah, no, just like a, a bunch of guys throwing punches at each other. <laughs> and up next, we had uh, Davey Richards against Pac, and crazy seeing Pac here. It's almost like the uh, 2020 right. version has eaten this kid that we watched on this show. I mean, um, Pac had been making a lot of waves in whatever the UK scene was in 2005, 2006. I mean, um, obviously, he's breathtaking eye-flying. I remember seeing him on a 1PW show in a multi-man, and, and then he had a match uh, a couple of months later with AJ Styles, and you just knew he was going to be something special. And um, I don't think he'd quite made it to Dragon Gate by this point, but he'd appeared in uh, ROH and PWG. Um, but this was uh, quite an exhibition match, nothing too spectacular, and we'll certainly see much better from Pac in late years, uh, I think, Benno, before we get on to the matter of Davy Richards. Yeah, this was this was baby Pac, wasn't it? Uh, this was Pac. <laughs> <laughs> like we'd seen him in the UK, obviously, Martin. Like where you know, like I saw him like that King of Europe took uh, cup against Generico this year, and you know you saw him in you know uh, IPW UK, um, and he was clearly like one of the best in Brit Res. But I think he looked frightened, like in the US. Like mm-hmm. this was not the confident Pac that we see on Dynamite right. every week. This yeah. was a very young guy in a foreign country looking uncomfortable um and i think the uh, the crowd response didn't help that either i mean davy richards has been quite the marmite figure hasn't he with some people hating him and some thinking he's the best wrestler ever um i mean where do you land on him reg do you think um he gets un- he, you know he, he gets unfairly uh put upon by some fans or, or do you think um he, he was a bit self-indulgent in his roh run i think it's a little bit of both to keep it real because he was he's a a really talented wrestler you know he like honed in on who he was influenced by obviously we talked about Benoit earlier and he was just 
really influenced by Benoit. We can tell mm. that. And just like, <laughs> but I think like I started to kind of develop this little disdain for Davy Richards because I would go to PWG very often and he was there. And every single time he would have a match, after the match, he would have to do a promo. And it's like, dude, we don't have to hear you put this guy over. I know this guy's good. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't need the Davy Richards Davy Richards stamp of approval. It's fine. But every single match, it would without fail. He would be one, two, three. Give me the mic. No, we don't want to hear that, dude. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> but in, but beyond that, I actually really like this match. This match is pretty technical, ba- technically based. Packets a red arrow to the floor just because he's insane, and then the, the finishing stretch is really super dope. They hit a pot count as a top rope German suplex, and then they do this crazy transition into a tombstone pile driver. Oh my goodness, that insane. was so awesome! The, the, so the, the, back, the back body drop into the tomb. I was like, yeah. What the hell was that? Yeah. Was like, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how I was like, Wait, what? Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah, the finish was awesome. But, but, like, interesting enough, like, while we're on the topic of Davey Richards, I don't know if you guys saw, but he had uh, tweeted out a few days ago uh, why he stepped away from wrestling. I, I think he – I don't think he's wrestled since, like, 2017, I don't think. Oh. And, and he had tweeted out, he was, like, um, he had, like, 12-plus surgeries on his right knee. And the, the like, doctor – he uh, it was back when he was in um, – when he was in Impact, the doctor told him he had the knee of a 70-year-old. So he oh was just, God. like – like that bad and he, he just he he had it's like a long thread that he wrote out but it, it was like no, knowing like the the varying opinions that people have about him when you when on i read that thread i was like ah you know it, it, it's kind it's kind of messed up you know that he had the that unfortunate luck but you know it, it happens to to most people yeah yeah, he, yeah he always... maybe he's looking that to that south american surgery that uh the Rey Mysterio. I mean, his knees were like nothing, weren't they? And yeah, like, right. Surgeons with things like that. And then I think Kevin Nash went down. I think he had dodgy knees as well, and he mm. had whatever the was it some stem cells or something they were doing in South America for like uh, wrestlers <laughs> and a variety of athletes. And it seems to have improved him no end. So yeah, perhaps he's a uh, best yeah. off looking into something like that. But um, um I was going to say, like, can we hope not? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we need. Do we need David Richards? Like, 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 I think we're doing just fine. <laughs> oh, he's like for me, he's like he's a guy I should like. Like, but you mentioned PWG before, like the the Super Dragon stuff. I was all, I was the guy pushing for him to come to Ring of Honor, and then he came, and he was just the guy who'd watched too many Ring of Honor tapes with his <laughs> promos and his. We're doing, and this is coming from me doing way too much in his matches. And yeah, you mentioned, I, I've got to say it though, you mentioned earlier that the, the Benoit stuff, like, this was two months after Benoit, and he's right. out doing, he would say Dynamite Kid cosplay, but it's Benoit cosplay. And he's Definitely. got the jacket on on his entrance, and the crowd are literally chanting for Benoit during this match. I don't know if you oh. noticed it, but like, oh, it's just awkward as anything, just tone deaf. And I think that sums up Davy Richards, and it's probably why I don't want him back. <laughs> Right. See, I don't mind sort of like mid card David Richards tag team David Richards, but I mean, I just I just can't get that uh, that Eddie Edwards best in the world match out of my head, especially that <laughs> gift uh, suplex spot. I, that that was just I think Benno that was just too self indulgent for me with the spamming of the kickouts that didn't mean yeah. anything and things like that. That's when it went a bit too far for me with uh, David Richards. 
has it ended yet? It's 2020 now. I'm hopeful that might finish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, a gif, there's a gif of him. Uh, he does like a double stomp on, I think it's Paul London. Paul London's on the apron and he just oh. lands right on Paul London's face. And yes. it's like, dude, don't do that, man. Come on. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. It's, it's things like that, that Davy Richards. It's like, you're doing it to yourself, Davy Richards. <laughs> Did um did Pack have much of a, a run in ROH? And obviously he went on to uh, a lot more bigger things in Dragon Gate and things. But uh, for, uh, the, I know they mentioned on commentary that he had a few matches in in Ring of Honor. Did he do much more in uh, Ring of Honor? I know he had a good run in PWG as well. Not really. He should have though. Like I think he's he's another victim of coming at the tail end of the Gabe years. Yeah. I feel like into like 2009, 10, 11, like I think he could have been a big star in ROH, but the whole tone of ROH changes a couple of years after this. So I think it was just more a timing thing than anything, but he would have been perfect. Was the yeah, bit with the big WrestleMania weekend Dragon Gate match, was that the year before this? Uh, yeah, 2006, yeah. So yeah, perhaps a, a year too late for him. But um, mm. on to the uh, next match, we had a three-way Roderick Strong, Austin Aries and Jack Evans. And uh I mean, Reg, how many factions do we have in ROH at this point? I mean, not enough, apparently, as, as Jack Evans is out and says he needs his own, so he brings out Julius Smokes as his new manager, and they form the Vulture Squad. Right, it's faction warfare. Every time someone comes out, they're like, a part of this faction? I'm like, is every single wrestler that comes out a part of the faction? <laughs> this is what happens when Gabe watches Dragon Gate once, and he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, Overload, new wrestler. Hey, you're going to be in this faction. You're here. Thank you. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, this match, um, Austin Aries, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, 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 like, what, what, specifically talking about Austin Aries, like, uh, Benno, let me ask you, like, I, I don't know, me and Mario talked about this on the, um, the, the Slammiversary podcast we did last month. Like, Benno, is it crazy to you to kind of see, like, this kind of fall from grace that Austin Aries has had, like, as far as the popularity he had early on in his career and him being probably the most over person in his match and then to see where he is now and how many people just genuinely don't like this dude? Yeah, he's like... You know, he should be in that clash with AJ, with Joe, with, you know, those types of top tier guys. Right. The problem is he's a cunt. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, unlike Loki, where being a cunt is part of your gimmick, we all kind of forgive Loki time and time right. again. I don't think anyone's got any forgiveness left for Aries. Like, no. when, when you go to WWE and you're too much of a cunt for 205 Live, I think that tells you everything, doesn't it? Like, right. Yeah, exactly. Just, he should be, though. He's, he's so talented. Great promo, great wrestler. He's been great for, you know, 15 years. But I don't know. I don't think anyone wants to see him at this point. It's yeah, like it was... he, should, he should be in the class with Joe and Punk, but instead he's in a class with Enzo Amore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not a good class to be in. And, and Ridge, I was, class, yeah. I was saying, Ridge, I was going to ask you this specifically, speaking about like Julius Smokes, like, and I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he did pretty like much after his his Ring of Honor run, but I, I, I feel like just just seeing him and the charisma he had, it just seemed like he was in the wrong era, like, because I, I feel like like that that pre social media era, I feel like if he was a part of this. Did know this current crop uh, in professional wrestling? I feel like everybody probably would have been clipping everything he said, gifting everything he said, and like he would have been probably one of the bigger stars. But like it was just like he was just the wrong place, you know, in in, in the wrong era. But he was the you know he, he had all the potential to be some 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 bigger than what he was. Yeah, most definitely. Seeing him on the show, it's just everything he says. You just attach to it. There's just something about him. He has like a charisma. That's it doesn't even seem like it's for wrestling, but it fits for mm. wrestling. It's just like you're like, 
what this guy is weird, but I just want to see what he has going on and him just being him so much during the promo and how he introduced Jack Evans and Ruckus eventually. It's just like, yeah, I think he was, he came up at the wrong time because if he came mm-hmm. up now, he'd be the man, man. for sure. And, <laughs> and, and, and Martin, like, so it, like talking about Jack Evans, do you think Jack Evans will ever get the the credit for being one of the kind of the innovators of like kind of the high flying style? Like, you, like I feel like he'll be, like I feel like at the end, Jack Evans will kind of be like in that same bracket with Amazing Red. Like I feel like a I feel like a great deal of people know how great Amazing Red is, but I feel like he's kind of like lost in, in there a little bit because he wasn't mainstream. I I, I was I think is the right the right proper phrase to say. Yeah, and I don't think he stuck around. Uh, well, I know he's in ROH quite a bit, but he, he sort of like flitted in in and out from places, didn't he? And he seemed to have things going on in his. Uh, you know, in his life outside of wrestling, yeah. and I, I, yeah. I, I think he got a bit of a bad rep, didn't he, Benno? Was it that cage match? Um, if I remember correctly, he got a, a, a bad rap for you know going into business for himself or something. Or am I remembering that wrong? That was, I mean, he was there, but it was Teddy Hart. Like oh, it was yeah. him and Teddy, yeah, Teddy, <laughs> Teddy Hart being Teddy Hart. But that was the problem. Jack was always attached at the hip to Teddy Hart, so exactly, he exactly. Got some of that bad rep. Like I think he's a great dude. I went to an ROH show once in Chicago, and uh, didn't cons- I went to the fan gathering and didn't consider the fact the show was like ten miles away in Chicago Ridge, and had no way to get to the show. And Jack Evans saw me lost outside of the uh, the fan gathering venue. I was like, oh, just take my foot in the car. I'll find my way there and let me get in his car. And I was like, you know what? Jack Evans is a good guy, and I've got nothing mm. bad to say about Jack Evans since, even though he wow. is a Liverpool supporter. Um, but I, he's, he's not even that. I mean, that aside, he's just a – he was. He was a trendsetter. He was different. He was, you know, he was kind of, what in a way, what the likes of Pac are, you know, these days as far as a flyer goes. He was he was doing things that, like, we, we hadn't seen before. And he's one of – I don't think he's one of the best wrestlers in ROH history, but he's one of my favorite wrestlers in ROH history. Like, before this match, they showed um, the highlights clips, didn't they, of, like, his team with Broderick Strong. What a, what a fun team that was. Just oh, silly, so fun. silly team combos and just, you know, or, or just Jack getting bent like a pretzel by the likes of uh, of Brian Danielson. Oh, he was he was inconsistent. And he, like you said, Martin, he was in and out, which is probably the story of his career. But – He's so much fun to watch. Even now, I still enjoy watching him on AEW. Now I like that he's uh, he's getting that paycheck in 2022. Has he been on many AEW shows recently? So he's him and Angelico, isn't he, in a team? I, don't, I can't remember the last time they were on the show. I, I think they were on last week. They attacked uh, Top Flight after the match with the Bucks. So I think they probably either setting some up with the Bucks or setting some up with uh, Top Flight. Right. Mm. Yes, I certainly agree that he was a, a great innovator, but it's just um, he didn't seem to uh, stick around anywhere for too long. But um, another, you know, quite a chaotic match, um, you know, quite a, a shindy match, if you will. Um, you know, some some great spots <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a running. I mean, you mentioned him earlier, Reg. Uh, Ruckus was making his his debut on this show because he he joined the uh, the Vulture Squad as well, and then he had a, a match. With- Eddie Edwards after um, um, a cornrowed Eddie Edwards. Um, I mean, some nice ones. Man, what in the hell? <laughs> hold on, hold on, man. Time out, time out, time out. Because I, I, I was waiting on this. This man came out with cornrows. I, I wanted to turn this damn show off so quick. I was like, what is this foolishness, man? 
Are you going to jump on Tiffany's new microphone? Oh, my God. I'm dead. Reg, I'm going to let you take it, man. Go ahead. I'm going to let you. That's that's kind of Eddie Edwards. He still does that in Impact Wrestling to this day. He likes cornrows pretty often. That's like his gimmick, it feels like, at this point. I was listening to an interview he did back in 2018 with Alicia, too. And and I don't mean to put Eddie on the spot, but, like, it it, kind of plays into what to what we just uh, discussed uh, briefly like he was like he he got asked about um about hip-hop music and this man said and i quote he was like oh yeah man i love my ghetto music i was like my ghetto music i was like no what like that interview was like burned in my brain and you and everybody if you listen to it you go check it out it's on um alicia two's interview youtube channel uh other than that uh, other than that a, a really good interview but when i heard that i was like dog what? <laughs> what? Wow. In 2018, was, he said that as well. Eddie Edwards. And then, as soon as I saw this man come out with Breeze, I was like, ah, there it is. Tied it up for me. American, <laughs> American Wolves, they're both American. out of here. They're both out of here. <laughs> uh, as far as Ruckus goes, I mean, did he do much in it? Obviously, uh, more famous for uh, being in CZW, but uh, did, did he do much in uh, ROH following on from his debut here, Reg? Uh, not anything too significant. It was just a lot of like spots like this, how this, this match was chaotic. <laughs> there was all mm-hmm. kind of stuff going on. I was kind of confused in points, but yeah, he would just mostly come do things like this. This, it was a weird time in ROH because it was kind of the tail end of Gabe's career in mm-hmm. the ROH and he was setting some things up and then they changed all those things when they, when they switched over to the new booker. So a lot of guys were starting and they would have had a better career in ROH had Gabe continued, I feel. Mm. And, and we for sure can't breeze over uh, Ruckus coming out with the black and mild. And uh, yeah. we, 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 he had, had, had this entire crowd singing Balling by Jim Jones. That was yeah. so great. I saw, I saw, that, was, that, was, <laughs> that was great. I love New York crowds. The, the Manhattan, we talked a little bit about the Manhattan Center earlier. The crowd as always, is insane. The New York crowds back then were just ready for mm. wrestling, especially Ring of Honor wrestling. They were at their hottest points, I feel, in New York and probably Philadelphia, too, because Philadelphia is always insane. Yeah, I love that song as well, because it's like, it's mostly like, it feels like a Ring of Honor song, because they used it <laughs> yes. at point when uh, Homicide <laughs> won the uh, world title at the end of 2007. That was a celebration song, speaking of uh, uh, Dre's chain. Yeah, that's... Uh, so uh, I'm not a big Jim Jones guy, but it's always, like, it's got a special place in my heart because of that. And next up, we had uh, Chris Hero against Claudio Casanoli, and uh, mm. this match was everywhere in this time period, weren't it? From PWG to Chikara and uh, CZW, and uh, now we see the Kings of Wrestling facing off here. I mean, tons of interference in this one from Larry Sweeney, Sarah Del Rey, and Daisy Hayes. Um, I think it was the first in the series in ROH, and uh, Claudio picks up the win here, but good match. But, um, Benno, I think it's safe to say we were going to get better from these two later on. Yeah, it was just a match, really, wasn't it? Like, I think for me... It was more the fact that getting to see Hero do his Superman entrance, getting to see yeah. Sweet and Sour Enterprises with uh, mm-hmm. with Larry Sweeney out there, who was so good in this period of ROH. Like, if people think of this year, there's like a this year and the year after, there's like down periods for ROH. Like, 
the amount of entertainment I got just out of, out of Larry Sweeney being out there with Hero and their, their whole squad. Um, yeah, that's kind of what this was about, really. And you're right, we we probably saw, you know, Claudio, like, in the UK a million times in the years leading up to this. And we saw the two of them doing their, do their tours and do their match in a million places. And this this felt like the three-star version of what they do. You know, it is just them two exchanging some holes, Hero showing off, and then Claudio, you know, showing off some more as a, as the baby <laughs> face. Uh, yeah, it was more about the... Uh, the shenanigans for this one more than me. It just made me really, really miss Larry Sweeney. Let, let, let me ask you this, Ben. So specifically, like on, on Chris Hero, like what would you think about his career? Like obviously beloved on the independent scene, beloved in Ring of Honor. Like he, he did a lot of great stuff. And, and it, as we've seen, like he was in, uh, he, he had some really, really solid matches in NXT and even did some great work in NXT UK. Like, but, but, but I don't think Chris Hero ever won uh, a, a major world championship. Like when you, when you look at like the overall scope of his career, do you think, he kind of peaked like uh, uh, like around this time period in kind of the five or so years going forward. It's hard to say because like with, with Hero, like his age was always weird because in the years before this, he was like seen as like this indie vet and this indie legend to the point where like later in ROH, he made his nickname, the that young knockout kid, didn't he? And it was almost like a reminder, you know, I am like, I'm still only like 28, 29. I'm not like this 40 year old has been, I can still go. And I think he kept having to reinvent himself like over the years because of that, because he was always around. Um, but I, I see him as like, if you were having like an, an indie wrestling hall of fame, like he's in like, like first ballot, like he is definitely you know, from those early two thousands to the ring of honor, the CCW feud in ring of honor is not as good as it was without, I mean, Chris Hero is the, is the main catalyst to that feud. Never mind, Like, you know, as me and Martin will attest to is, is indie run uh, a few years ago before he went back to WWE where he was over in the UK mm. all the time, having bangers in rev pro and, uh, and progress and the like, uh, he's been so good for so long. We kind of all yeah. just uh, we take it for granted, I think, a little bit. Um, but I'd still mm. imagine if you turned up in AEW now, like attack Kingston or something like that, like that'd be great. Like no matter where he goes, he's always great. Um, yeah, so easy. To me, he's an le- absolute legend as far as indie wrestling goes, and maybe just doesn't get the the juice he deserves, and never really had the big money run that he deserved. Like you mentioned there, mm-hmm. with the, the lack of he was never like the main ROH champion or he was never like in NXT he was kind of thrown away wasn't he and thrown to the yeah. Vulcan toys in NXT UK I think Chris, <laughs> we've taken Chris Hero for granted over the years sorry I have to throw one dig in <laughs> I think he um I think going to WWE was a detriment to his career pretty much every time mm-hmm. he would get super hot he would go to WWE because he was hot and then they'd just cool him off because they are awful mm-hmm. and so <laughs> he had yeah. so many times where he he would have been world champion somewhere else hadn't he not tried to go to WWE and do whatever they wanted him to do. So all the times that he was on his way to become world champion, he signed with WWE and they screw it all up. So, 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 Riz, let me ask you this: so Like, do you think let 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 let's, hypothetically, right? Let's say the the original plan went through and it was going to be Hero, uh, Rollins, and and Mox in the Shield, right? Yeah. Do you think do you think that would have changed the trajectory of Chris Hero's luck in WWE, or do you think it just would have it, it like it just would have never worked out? I think it would have worked out because he has a wrestling mind, and he would have knew he would have knew how to work that character in that role, right. and it would have worked out. The Shield was on its way, regardless, and I think mm-hmm. he would have worked out in that role, and Roman would have been Roman regardless because he's Roman. But I think so. I think he would have did pretty good in that role. 
Yeah, definitely. It's in, it's interesting with Chris Hero, isn't it? Because, like you said, he has got a brilliant mind for wrestling. I am surprised that AEW haven't, well, perhaps they have tried bringing him in and he's just having a break, but I am surprised they haven't fetched him in, certainly for a sort of backstage role. He could teach um, a lot of the younger ones tons of stuff. But like Benno said, that last run he had, was it 2016? Mm. And those matches, especially in Red Pro, that weekend where he took Ishii and Shibata on was just like one of my <laughs> favorite weekends watching wrestling. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, it was so horrible losing him. And even when he was in Noah teaming with Colt Cabana and things like that, he always brings so much to uh, to any sort of like promotion that he's in outside of WWE, obviously. But I mean, we talked wax lyrically about a hero. What about Claudio? I mean, is do you think he's found his ceiling now in WWE? Are you ever going to see more? Man. Or, you know. <laughs> Man. I was, saying, I was saying that I thought, what if they let him do all the moves that he has? Imagine that. Like, <laughs> he, he did like at least five moves in this match that he doesn't do in WWE. And if he did them in WWE, people would go crazy. It's kind of like, what are you guys doing with this guy? Like, he, this is a world champion. Just If you just let him do his thing, he's a world champion that everyone's going to love. But they just don't let him do his thing. It's very frustrating. I, like, I genuinely feel like, are you good, Benno? I was going to say, he's in the wrong company. That's the thing for me. <laughs> yeah. That's it. He's, yeah, that's he's not a WWE wrestler, is he? Like, he's just not. Vince it. is never going to. He's too European, as Vince said. Right. You know, he's, he's never going to fit. Right. Like, like I, I feel like their their thing that they're kind of clinging on to uh, Cesaro with is like he can't the the, the mic thing the mic situation. I, I think that's kind of the thing that they're clinging on to, and they kind of want to cling on to that because I I think it's kind of a situation to where like and, and I think we all know this about WWE. If you're not one of the guys that they want, then you're never going to be that guy. It's just that's, that's it. just the way it is. You you you, you right. can get over as much as you want to. I, I think the the rare exception to that that we've seen over this past decade is Daniel Bryan. I think that's probably the one who kind of, you that's know, it, they, yeah. they, 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 they were forced to put, they were forced to put, they had no choice. But I, I think with Cesaro, like, it, it's just crazy because like Rich said, he has literally everything. Dude can go in the ring. He can like, but if, if you, if you, if your issue with him is that he can't speak on the mic, you want to know what you can easily do? Give him a manager. It's like that simple. Right. And then you, the, the, Brock doesn't talk on the mic and, you know, so, and, and he's one of the, well, prominent stars that they got. So it's, it's just crazy to me to see that Cesaro is kind of just plugged into this tag team role and like just like running the mill. And like, I don't know if you guys saw, but he had he had a really, really, really good match at uh, um, TakeOver Cardiff with Ilya Dragunov. And met, like and th- just just the way the crowd reacted to him when he came out, mm. I was like, dude, like, like, what are they doing with this man? Like yeah. he was so like the crowd was so amped to see him, man. And he put on a great match with Ilya and, like, every, like I think after that, everybody was kind of like, okay, this might be the thing to get the train rolling with, with Cesaro. And then next thing you know, he was back in the tag team division. <laughs> yeah, that was because uh, the NXT UK fans aren't used to seeing stars in the promotion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Martin. <laughs> I, I That's it. Uh, we got it. In. But, but like uh, another person who kind of caught my eye doing this um, was, was Sarah Amato. And like I feel like she was kind of like another one. Like we spoke about Julia Smokes, like kind of being like a, a, like really solid just at the wrong time period. Like I, I can yeah. only imagine how she would have been in this current crop of you know this current crop of women's wrestlers when they're just like the elite of the elite as far as talent she would, and star power goes. She yeah, would be AEW been. women's champion right now for sure, yeah. like hands down, no question. Yeah. And then you got people like Sarah Stock. Uh, like it, it was just like I, I really feel like they. 
the, some of the some of the women that were on the independent scene at this time, they just had bad timing, man. Like that's all it was. Like if they if they, if they could have blew up during this period, like I I I feel like they would have they would have been crazy. But like it, it's good to see them kind of get their flowers. Like you see some of like the, the the current crop of talents in WWE credit and um you know Sarah Motto and Sarah Stock for helping them in the performance and all that type of stuff. So I mean at least they getting some type of you know flowers. Yeah, it wasn't a good time for, like, indie sort of, like, women's wrestling around this time period. What was it, like, these two and then sort of, like, cheerleader Melissa was around at this point. Yes. And, I mean, I mean, she's someone who, who's criminally overlooked uh, for definite. But as mm-hmm. far as, like, ROH right. goes, uh, Benoit Reg, I mean, was this as far as you got with uh, women's wrestling in ROH, Sarah Del Rey and Daisy Hayes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> moments in the red where like they'd flirt with it and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we're having a shimmer women's title match on the show," and then yeah, Gabe would never consistently book it. Uh, same story you see with so many promoters over the year. Really, this missed opportunity really because there were a lot of good women around this time. Right, I think Impact Wrestling was the only one around the time mm. that was like really letting the women do their thing. Everybody mm. else was like, "Nah," <laughs> but they had like Awesome Kong and Gail Kim, Gail Kim, so it worked out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's they're still classics people talk about today. But, I mean, gentlemen, we've sort of, like, you know, had the start of there, but now it's on to the main course because, I mean, Takeshi Morishima against Brian Man. Danielson. And now we're getting to the real meat of the show. where uh, voted match of the year by the readers of the Wrestling Observer. I mean, this is a brutal match. I mean, just to talk about the first five minutes of this match, I mean, Danielson starts off by just kicking the shit out of Morishima after a few minutes. <laughs> chucks Brian into the corner and starts clubbing him in the face, and apparently this caused Danielson's retina to become detached, and then we've still got another <laughs> 20 minutes to go in this match. But just before we get into the rest of the match, I did I did have a quick look at Danielson's book, and he did say that uh, Morishima had sort of like been a bit too soft on the ROH talent compared to how he would be in Noah, and he wanted to get the best out of him, hence him kicking the hell out of him at the start. I mean... Jeez. He got his wish, didn't he? I mean, this match is brutal. There's some wince-inducing lariats and punches from Morishima, and then that uh, cracking dive into the crowd by Danielson, and the crowd is absolutely eating this up, especially at the start. really reminded me of, like, a UK sort of, like, soccer crowd or a UK wrestling crowd when they're all chanting, like, you know, you're going to get your head, he's going to kick your head off or whatever, and just just absolutely brilliant match, and I can see why the readers of uh, Wrestling Observer this match, match of the year, I just absolutely loved it. Just brilliant match from top to bottom, and just Danielson, like, easily, like, one of the best in the world around this point. Yeah. yeah it, 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 it's, like, really a testament, like, like this match in general, it's, like, really a testament to how over Brian was in general, because, like, he, he, even though Morishima was so much bigger than him, like, it, it like, you really didn't like pay attention to it at all and like people just wanted brian man like that's all they wanted like i think that's just a testament to him as a worker and then a testament to him just he he just had one of those connections with the fans man mm. yeah he was he was our guy at this point i think that's why <laughs> morishima gets the, the heat in this because he got pushed very hard in 2007 and there was definitely an undercurrent of roh fans kind of like, okay why are we pushing he's great but you know what about danielson what about mcginnis they should be the top guy so i think that was kind of like the pushback he got a little bit it was because people love brian so much but god he was so good in this year um <laughs> I, I don't know if it would have been the match of the year in 2007 i've got a real soft spot for cena and umaga but i might have to uh take my, <laughs> my roh fan card back saying that out loud but you know, it's up there. Um, but the reason it's up there is it's, it's Brian's performance in the match because, like, he detaches his retina. What, how long into the match? Like, is it three or four minutes, minutes into the match? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And he works the entire match. And 
the beauty of it and why Brian is so good is he works it into the match and he sells it and it, it becomes part of a sympathy. And Morishima does not help. Morishima, it's uncomfortable at points where he's like forearming him in the eye. And you know Brian is whispering in his ear to hit him harder. You know he wants it. Um, and it makes it so uncomfortable. It makes Brian such a great underdog in the match that, yeah, it, it was almost like, the perfect meeting of like this big bad from Japan who's got our, our belts uh, held hostage, and Brian not only is like you know the guy we want on top, but there's a legitimate story there as well with it with his busted eye. Like this is just pure babyface versus monster heel stuff, and just yeah, absolutely awesome, uncomfortable but memorable, amazing watch. So, so Ben on Ridge, like when when y'all when y'all look at the the overall career of Daniel Bryan and knowing. He he's always been this like elite level talent, and then you you you. I'm, I'm sure we all know how difficult it can be for that popular independent star to break into WWE and even reach, uh, you know, the, the the one of the one of their main championships. But he kind of broke that ceiling and got the main event spot at one of their at their biggest show of the year, and then he's still prominent to this day in the company, and even found himself onto the SmackDown creative team somehow. So like like just looking at the overall career of Daniel Bryan, like I, I like would you guys for sure say that he's like I would say top? Would you say top five or top ten greatest of all time just in ring performance? I think so. I think at this time as well, like uh, yeah, I don't know. Like if Red should probably say as well. Like watching like ROH live at the time, it, it felt like. Maybe are we overrating this guy because he's our guy? You know, he's only been on the Indies a couple of years, and you know, he's not got the years of experience of, say, sad to say, but a Benoit or somebody or a Guerrero or somebody like that. But as far as being this good this early, um, I think that's enough to put him over the top as a top five of all time for me. I don't know about you, Reg. To me, he's number three on my list. It goes Brett and then Sean and then Brian. Wow, because. Of what he did here because of what he did at PWG. You know, when a wrestler, it's different now in 2020. When an independent wrestler would get signed to WWE, it was like, there were so many emotions that you went through. You're like, what's going to happen? There's nothing at that point when he had got signed in 08 or 09, whenever it was. It was like, all the bad things are probably going to happen. Like, it just doesn't work out for these type of guys. CM Punk was there, but he hadn't got into his stuff yet. And they, they didn't believe in him yet. So when Brian got signed, I was very nervous. And then he ended up getting fired a couple year, a year or so after getting um, hired. But then he had the run. I was actually at WrestleMania 30, and it was insane. It was one of the craziest moments craziest wrestling shows I've ever been to, more, more because of the streak and Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. But the end of that show was insane. And Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, I didn't think he would even, I didn't think he would achieve the heights he did in WWE because it's not, WWE isn't for him. It's like just not set up. The way that they work is not set up for what he does. Mm. But he is so good at what he does and one of the best ever that he did, he made it happen. He became WWE world champion in a company that didn't want him to be WWE champion. How mm-hmm. crazy is that? That's in, it's insane to think about. It's like they like, didn't want him. Like you were saying, they didn't. He wasn't supposed to be here. He's not supposed to be the one. Every time that he was the one, it was supposed to be somebody else. It was supposed to be Roman Reigns or Randy Orton or Batista or somebody. But he's just so good at what he does. He forced them to do it because we all wanted it. 
one of the best ever yeah. for sure. Top three for me. Yeah, y'all know was like was one of gonna be one of the craziest things. Like it's gonna be a certain generation of fans that only remember Brian as being like, and and and, and not not saying it's a bad thing, but they they're gonna remember him as being, you know, on this reality show on on right. total like on, on E. But, but 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 like but like ser- like seriously, though, like, that's just gonna be a current crop of fans that only remember him is this like the clean cut Daniel Bryan. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And then as Bri- not, Bree's and, and husband. Then, Yes, as Bree's husband, and then not knowing this dude was like one of the greatest wrestlers to ever do it, and like yeah, uh, yeah. that's like ins- insane to me, man. Like it's right. it's crazy, but like to, to, like even with um with Morishima, like I I because I, I think he I remember I wrote I wrote some about him a couple of years ago, and he he had I think he had diabetes, and he stepped away from the ring, but he said that um he he well so he was supposed to uh, wrestle at Noah's um Genesis show in 2018. And he had said that yeah, he caught diabetes, so he stepped away from the ring. That was why he stepped away. But he was like he had a lot of mental issues going on and like he had a mm-hmm. like he had a, a plethora of issues going on and he, he got arrested um one month before his return. He was supposed to return because he like beat up a taxi driver and like he he was like he got uh put in the hospital for an illness and like he he just had like a real rough stretch uh two years ago, like literally like right before he was supposed to come back. So I kind of feel bad from Morishima yeah. and I really haven't heard much from him uh, I heard anything about him like since you know since that period that's yeah, my dream yeah, I, I want that much. since his retirement and and um I, I think as well he never quite got it you know they, they tried going him a bit with no but it never quite worked out with him and I think you know it, oh. it, especially in western fans minds he's more known as sort of like for this ROH run but um I mean I just wanted oh. to ask you Reg as far as Danielson matches go um, in ROH, I mean, where do you uh, rate this one? Obviously, I mentioned earlier it was uh, voted as, as match of the year. Where do you rate this one as far as uh, Brian Danielson in Ring of Honor? Um, it's probably I, I like this. I'm not the hugest fan of Takeshi Morishima to, to keep it real. Um, I like this match a lot, but I prefer like matches he had. The match he had with Kenta is probably my favorite uh-huh. Brian Danielson match because that shit is crazy. But um, mm-hmm. this is a phenomenal match, man. Like to see to know that he got hurt and to see the mo- you can see the moments where it's happening is like yo this is brutal wrestling right here man and just to know that Brian Danielson could bring that side of Morishima out in a match is awesome this match yeah. is incredible i'm the same way with it like i think there's so many like you know you think joe kabashi you know the dragon gate six man there are better ring right. of honor matches in like in yeah. this time period and there are better brian matches in this time period but it's one of the more memorable ones um and i'm the same as you reg i'm not a morishima guy i think i was one of those died in the wall roh fans that was like why is this noah guy got our belt um, <laughs> yeah and it doesn't look great in hindsight because you know as you said andrew his career never really turned out it's not like they brought in Kabashi or Masao or somebody and, you know, made them the top guy. It was someone who never really made it on that next level in Noah. Still time, I suppose. You know, maybe if we get that Brian uh, indie run that I'm hoping for after his WWE career, maybe we could uh, rematch them at, uh, at some point in the future as well. <laughs> uh, that'd be good. Yeah, I bet you they'd still kill it um, again. But yeah, for that reason, it's like it's up there, but it's it's it wouldn't make like, I don't think it'd even make my personally my top 10 matches at ROH history, but still right. a great match. And that's not a slight. And I mean, the other thing I was going to say, I mean, before we move on, I've got to point this out. Did anybody watch this this match? And as soon as Daniel Bryan came out, did you not think that man, 2007 Daniel Bryan, the absolute ringer for 2020 John Pollock? 
I feel like I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw John Pollock in some trunks and some kick pads, and I'm telling you, 2007 Daniel Bryan vibes. <laughs> yeah, just get him a red dressing gown, and yeah, and that's uh, yeah. After, uh... <laughs> uh. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, no, yeah. Now you mentioned it, yeah, I can't I can't see anything but that. But yeah, cracking match here, and uh, yeah, it wasn't even the main event because obviously we had uh, the Briscoes against Kevin Steen and El Generico, and. Uh, it was I'm safe to say this was like a huge feud in ROH at this time. Uh, not quite as brutal as the ladder war, but still a great match. Um, it's always worrying to me going back to these indie shows and stuff that you thought was great at the time as has been surpassed since. But this was still a really good match, and I like that they didn't use the uh, the usual two out of three falls the way it normally goes down with one team getting a fall and then the other and then the race for the uh, for the third one. Um, you know. It feels at this point like the Briscoes have been around forever. I mean, in, in, especially in 2020. But um, still love seeing their double teams, and they work so well with uh, Steen Generico here, Benno. Oh yeah, like this. This is a match you could take this match and slot it in an indie show now, and it'd still be fine. Like it's not. Yeah. It, it's very much a big moves match, isn't it? Like you know, moves with a Z. That was kind of Steen Generico's thing in this <laughs> period. Um, but it would work. Yeah, that, that's a shout out to her old Ollie Court. That was his uh, favorite phrase, wasn't it? Um, but like, the, it, it was perfect because Steen and Generico at this point were they were basically you know jobbers in Ring of Honor up until like yeah. this Briscoes feud. They never like really got their due in Ring of Honor until quite late on, especially Generico. Um, Steen kind of did as like a top guy, but they were so like, Gabe was hot and cold with them. And then the bookers who followed Gabe was hot and cold with them. So they never really had that big run. But I feel like the as a team, at least the Briscoes feud is probably their big run. Um, and this is like an example of the type of match where they just go out there. The two popular teams, they don't waste time doing like a heel beatdown or something. They're just two teams just exchanging big moves and going back and forth with crazy big spots and crazy athleticism from, you know, the likes of Generico in there. Um, and it was just fun. Like, I, I wouldn't go higher than like a, a four-star match. I think it was definitely the lesser of like the, the two last matches on this show. But yeah, you could slot this onto any indie show and it'd be one of the most fun, big move style matches uh, on a show. And it's kind of what you wanted. You wanted to send the, the crowd home happy after maybe being upset that, that Morishima um, kept the belt in the previous match and throwing these four lads out there to just do some big spots was always going to work. And I always liked them doing that, throwing the uh, the tag titles in, uh, in the main events as well. So yeah, it really moved for me. Um, worked for me, sorry, on, uh, on rewatch. So, so Ridge, uh, we, we, I, I got to mention this. I got to get your thoughts on this. So, but when the Briscoes were coming out, they, well, one of the dudes in the crowd had was waving the Confederate flag in conjunction with the Briscoes. So, I, and I'm pretty sure we all know, you know, the Briscoes uh, and their some of their beliefs. So I just wanted to get your thoughts about, you know, seeing this and how that kind of. You know, it, it, it kind of like, you know, harkens to what we know today about uh, Mark and Jay. But, but, but regardless of what they, you know, their tag team history aside and how great they've been in the ring. Well, that's what that's the biggest issue I have with the Briscoe Brothers, because I actually have the Briscoe Brothers in my top five tag teams of all time, just because mm. of the incredible matches they have done in ROH. That's just in the ring and what they've done there. But if you read about anything else that you've that they've done yeah. <laughs> yo i don't know man <laughs> so, no, like honestly man like and and i think all of us could kind of speak to this like i i think 
especially in this era that we're in right now, like finding out some of these guys' beliefs and what they like, how they think it, it, it really kind of ruins like just, just maybe, maybe just a little bit of like how we view them as in-ring performers. Like I even know, right. like even with AJ Styles, like dude, like two, like like I thought AJ Styles like legit, and I, and and he is like you know he is one of the one of the greatest wrestlers to to, to ever do it. But like it it, it kind of takes away just a little bit, like because we know how these how some of these guys think, and we know how they you know view certain people, and 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 it's just like I think that's one of the things about especially this era. Like it, it just really has opened up and like re- really it really opened up the business and allowed us to see who these people really are past what they do in the ring and past what they what they do on screen. Yeah, it's hard. You've you've almost got to. It's hard to separate it, especially you know when it's recent stuff. Like yeah. it's like you know when you know, when we go back and we review like eighties or nineties WWF. Like do I really <laughs> do, do I want to know what the, you know Bravo's views were on gay marriage? <laughs> like, you know, like oh, yeah, exactly. Jake Briscoe, you know. I mean, the one thing I would say about him, he did, you know, he apologized for those comments he made, and I don't think Mark's ever made any similar comments. But the problem is, it's their silence in the years since, and you know, when they're right. challenged on it, they don't really, you know, outright say, you know, that we disavow those views. It just makes you think they think it more. And like you say, they come out with the Confederate Confederate flag, so it is, it's hard, isn't it, um, to, to kind of so separate hard. those two things. Yeah. They, they are so good as a team, um, but yeah, yeah I think. They're the type. They're the type of wrestlers where, yeah, it's like you know what? I don't want to have a, a conversation with you about anything. That I don't. <laughs> I don't want to hear views. You know, um, I don't want to hear. Just tell me about the match. That's it. Yeah. Just right. like, show me about like chicken farming, maybe in Delaware. Like that. They're, they're the two things I want to hear from the Briscoes because yeah, it does. It does get get sad when you uh, you delve into the weeds of that stuff. Do y'all y'all ever think the Briscoes will ever depart from Ring of Honor? Or y'all think they 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 locked in for life, like as far as as far as uh, their career goes? I think if they done it, uh, they would have done it already, wouldn't they? I think that didn't they ever try out for WWE a couple of years back, and then they, did they ever appeared in Impact or TNA or or any? I don't think they have, have they? And it just seems like ROH is just going to be them, and they're going to retire yeah. there. And then, as Ben mentioned, uh, go back to running this farm in Delaware. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing about them and Jay Lethal. Are like, are you guys going to be? In, you're going to be in Ring of Honor forever. That's like, <laughs> what? Else? What about something else? <laughs> I, 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 you know what, bro? You know what? I, I, I think Jay Lethal, man. I, like, I, I really think he, he should just take, just like, just take a chance. Like, right. I, I feel like, I feel like, like, there's literally nothing else for him to do in Ring of Honor. Like, there nothing. Is. He like, did it all. He did it all, man. Like I feel like that. Like if if there was ever a time to go to AEW or go to WWE, like man, just just go do it. Like you, you like I mean, the worst thing, the worst the, the, you go to WWE, worst thing you will happen is you gonna make a bunch of money. Like right. you know, like <laughs> it, it, you know, you 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 probably might not be closing out WrestleMania. Like yo, you never know what could happen. But like you, at least you going you know your bank roll gonna be nice. So I mean, right. like, yeah, you might as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, it's, I mean, Benno, you mentioned earlier that, like, Steve and Generico have been sort of, like, jobbers up until this point and then got into the shoot of the Briscoes. Did this really sort of, like, set them off on a platform to go sort of like uh, sort of like nuclear? Because everyone remembers the feud they had with each other, don't they? It should have done, yeah. I mean, they had the, they had the ladder match or, uh, is it Man Up later in the year. That's really well regarded, uh, which they spent, you know, the post-match of this setting up uh, with these two teams. But, yeah, that's what it is. It, it's just... I just don't think that Gabe ever fully believed in them and Cornette definitely didn't fully believe in them. Although I will say, you know, Cornette gave 
you know, Kevin Steen, his biggest ROH push um, as a top guy in a few with him. So he certainly saw something, you know, you know, matter what he says on his podcasts. Um, but yeah, it just, they should be ROH legends on like the, the level of, again, Punk, Joe, Danielson, those kind of guys. And instead, they're just guys who were in ROH for a long time and had memorable moments like this. And they had their feud against each other, which, you know, you can retcon, look back at and go, what a great feud they had in ROH. But they were fighting uphill against the booking in those feuds. You know, bad segments like, you know, Reg will remember that. You know, the lawyer segment where Kevin Steen oh, was backstage God. with a load of like indie guys as his lawyers. Like, you know, <laughs> just too much you know, creative getting too involved in what should have been a very, very simple story to tell. It's easy. It's right there. It's laid out. Yeah. <laughs> and they save it with the matches, don't they? But it never... Right. Yeah, creatively, maybe it's not as you know as great as we all like to to remember it is, and yet it just never really really happened for them on a on a top level. I would say in ROH, I don't know if you you disagree. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was like they were they never had a bad match. There's not one bad match you can find in Ring of Honor, and I think all the fans knew they knew. Wait, we know these two guys are great. We know Steen and Generico are amazing wrestlers, but the the company would just never fully get behind them when they needed to. I think they did eventually get behind Steam, but they were in like ROH is on like HD net or so. It was like a, uh-huh. a weird time where everyone wasn't super invested in Ring of Honor. And uh, he, made, uh, you know, Kevin Steen made it work. He went to WWE and became Universal Champion. It all worked out. But back then it was kind of like, I don't know, man. I, did, I, I was always really concerned with. Kevin Steen going to WWE because again he's not a WWE wrestler, but uh, he did it. He made it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. If, if what you were just saying there, Benno, about the booking and stuff like that, then you know, he's certainly uh, gearing up for a, a life in WWE, weren't he? With it, it started so well. Oh, NXT, like that moment when uh, when Sami Zayn debut. When sorry, when Kevin Owens debuts and then he Sami Zayn wins the belt and then Kevin Owens turns on him in the post match. Like that was some of their best stuff. It's just unfortunately what came after uh, right. where the problems happened. Even when he debuted like, on Raw, though, and his matches with Cena, it seemed like it was, you know, there was some promise there and stuff, and then it's all been sort of like downhill. I mean, remember when he took that, yeah. like, uh, no look back bump off the Hell in a Cell, and it was forgotten about about two weeks later? It's like, yeah. Yeah. And for, for like, for, for, I think the, I think where they went wrong with Kevin Owens, like, honestly, I, I feel like he, he had a really great run in NXT. And then I feel like when he got to the main roster, they had it down to a T, like him beating Cena. Like that was that 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 was that's how you're supposed to do it. Like you yeah, come in, be the biggest guy, and then now Kevin Owens is made just like that. And I swear, I feel like they had everything down to a T until they let Goldberg beat him before WrestleMania. <laughs> that was like that was the worst. Cause like, look, that was him, so stupid. Him, him and Jericho had probably the hottest program in the company, right? And I, I felt like. I, like I don't think him and Jericho could have delivered in ring wise if we talking world title match at WrestleMania, but I do think they had the story and they could have. They I, I think the crowd could have fed off of that, but like I think just having Kevin Owens get jobbed out by Goldberg like that, I was like ooh. And then but when you look when you look back at it, he's like never really gotten back to that point. Like I I feel I feel like he like I, I feel like had uh, Kofi Mania not happen. I, I feel like they probably went with Brian and KO at, at last year's Mania. That probably would have been a the direction they probably would have went. But like it, it, it seems like ever since he lost to Goldberg and lost the Universal Title, it's like he kind of just been, you know, uses a good hand uh, t- type of talent. Yeah, definitely. And uh, well, 
you talk about people who haven't really been using WWE and uh, El Generico. I mean, that's a whole podcast there for you. Um, oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but as, as far as, you know, it was good going back down memory lane, going back to remember when I was like, you know, a big indie fan back in 2005, 2006. And um, as far as this show and just uh, overall ROH memories, I mean, Reg, um, just to, to wrap up your thoughts about this show and just uh, remembering ROH around this time period. Um, yeah, like like was said earlier, um, ROH would have a bunch of shows that they'd have a bunch of shows that there wasn't a five star classic, but their shows just flowed so well that you could just watch so many of them. You're always going to get great wrestling, interesting angles, the best wrestlers in the world. This show is shows what became of the wrestling business pretty eventually. Look how many world champions are on here: Brian Danielson, mm. Kevin Steen. You know, like. Uh, Pac's doing crazy in AEW. Uh, all the bookers that were in that six-man match. Like, <laughs> this thing, like, set the stage. All these ROH shows back then just set the stage for what the pro wrestling business has became now. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting to see um, how far these guys' careers have gone. And, uh, and Benno, obviously, you know, you organized the bus trip for a bunch of ROH wrestlers when they came to the UK. You know, that's a infamous story now. And... Um, did your fandom start to wane around this sort of time period? Yeah, I think it had. I think, like I said, the, the Benoit factor, the fact that I'd started to get wrestling myself and realised it wasn't everything it was cracked up to be. Um, and just generally ROH kind of... I'm not saying it wasn't good in this year. It was, you know, we had we had very... You know, we had fun stuff like the hero stuff I mentioned late earlier. We had an unbelievable roster. Like, that was a big takeaway for me watching this show. I'd forgotten how stacked this roster was. And it was coming at a time as well when TNA had pulled a couple of dudes. You know, Homicide's uh, conspicuous by his absence because of his TNA contract. And it felt like, if anything, it was almost overbloated for what it was at this time. Um, But but like we just said then, there's so many, like, pivotal dudes on this roster at this time that the shows can't help but be good. But it's like a lot of times you see over history, it happened with ECW, uh, it happened with WCW. You know, the, the this was probably like one of their biggest business years, at least in the in the Gabe years. And it was probably, they were at their most popular and had a lot of very good wrestlers. But I think the bloom was off the rose and it was just, there was a delay and it was just taken as it does with a lot of wrestling companies. It takes a, you know, a few months or a year before we really start to see it. And 2008 is kind of where, you know, things start to fall off and Gabe leaves and then it becomes a a very different ring of honor. It's the type of show where you're watching it thinking you don't want to believe the peak is over because you have a match as good as Morishima and Danielson on the show and you have a match as good as that tag made event, but it kind of was. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, for that reason, though, it makes it a really, really interesting year to study ROH. And it's uh, it's made me want to go back and watch that Man Up pay-per-view from this year. I think that was their first big pay-per-view and other big business success. Yeah, I remember that. Was, it's such an interesting story, isn't it, this year? Yeah, because it's, it's weird for me, because with ROH, um, I watched a lot of the stuff, um, as you'll remember, Benno, on the wrestling channel over here in the UK. You know, we had the Paul London stuff and Loki and all that stuff, and I was really into all that, and then sort of like I drifted away. And didn't, and it's interesting going back and watching this stuff now, because I remember reading about it in Power Slam, but not really like mm. hunting it down. So I did see a few things here and there, you know, sort of like downloading a few matches off the internet and that. But um, Andrew, I mean, as as far as sort of like Ring of Honor from this time period goes, is this the first time you've sort of like seen um, shows like this and, and the likes of sort of like Briscoe's against Kevin Steen and El Generico? Uh, not the first time, but I would say 
like this is probably like well, I would say probably over the last several years of the show, like I really started to get into like the, the this the history in the early two thousands and stuff like that. Like mainly like what I took away from this show was I was just like at the end of I was just thinking about how like how Ring of Honor has been always been like a breeding ground for for talents for them to be to go to the next level. Like that's right. always just what it seems like. And it seems like Ring of Honor was never the place where like it, 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 it was, it was always a place where they were like honed in some of like the most talented wrestlers, but it just seemed like it was always the place where you can groom them and then they go off to the next thing. Like when you just think about it, man, like Samoa Joe in WWE, Nigel McGinnis, Daniel Bryan, Adam Cole, uh, Austin Aries was there, Kevin Owens is there, Seth Rollins, Roderick Strong. You know what I'm saying? Like you just look at these dudes and all these like the list of people who's been ROH World Champion, Kyle O'Reilly, uh, Punk. Like it, it seemed like all these dudes like they really really found themselves in, in ring of honor or uh, besides joe i say i think joe kind of harkened himself in tna but like besides that it seemed like they they really found themselves in ring of honor just to you know go off to wwe and i feel like that 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 always kind of that that will always be ring of honors you know down point i guess is like they're they're not the place that people go and like i want to spend you know let the big star goes and let i want to be here in, until the end of my career unless you're talking about like a jay lethal but like it's like yeah, I, I always wonder how you know internally those within those powers that be have always felt about you know ring of honor always kind of being just a breeding ground yeah definitely and as far as a uh, ring of honor modern day before we get out of it i mean benno and reg do you ever feel like it can go back to being sort of like the work rate promotion that it was sort of like back around this time period or is that completely bypassed them now um, I think, you know, he's another name that's mud this year, but I think when Marty Scale was made booker earlier this year, he was trying, wasn't he? He was trying mm-hmm. to make, he was doing like, you know, the retro show. I've always wanted that, like a Ring of Honor one night stand. Um, I'd, I'd love to be given the book for that one. Um, I'll be putting right. Special K over in the main events. But that was the plan this year. And they were leaning into, you know, they did the Pure tournament this year and they're leaning into a lot of memories people have of Ring of Honor. And I think that's good and it's cool you can do that. But, you know, it being owned by a big evil corporation in Sinclair Broadcasting. Exactly. It's that- it's not going to be the ring of honor of, you know, Gabe shouting into a mic in front of <laughs> in a one-man tin pot operation that ROH kind of was in, you know, 04, 05, 06, leading to this uh, this big year. Uh, I still watch it, though, and I still have that, that feeling of kind of nostalgia. I don't see it as the same company, but there are moments where I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, I still feel a loyalty to this this team or this brand. It's kind of like, yeah, your favorite, you know, it, it's more of an American thing, isn't it? But, you know, your favorite sports team who's like moved to a to another, you know, state or something. Like, it's still the team, but it's not quite the team. Um, it's Ring of Honor in name only, I think, these days. But right. you know, they do they, they pull me back every now and then with, with moments like that and uh, some of the nostalgia they've been doing this year. Yeah, I've been saying for a couple years now that they they always have insane rosters. Like, if you looked at their roster now, you'd be like, whoa, (laughs) Ring of Honor has some of the best wrestlers in the world. I don't know if they ever really put it together like they should. And there's some things they definitely need to work out. I don't think it'll ever get back to how it was in the glory years, but I think they they'll always be one of the most prominent wrestling promotions in the world. And they can still be up there. One of the top promotions, if they can put it all together and figure out what's going on with all this Booker stuff with Marty and delirious and all the crazy stuff they got going on behind the scenes. But 
it is Ring of Honor, and it's crazy to think that in two years it'll be the twentieth anniversary of Ring of Honor. Mm. Wow, twenty years. That's that's the real <laughs> crazy thing to think about. Yeah, they've been around for longer than ECW, longer than WCW. They've that's been around crazy. for the same the same amount of time as Impact. They're both coming up on twenty years. Wow. Like you, you, you really want to know what's crazy though, Ray? Like I, I genuinely feel like, and you know, as Ben mentioned with Sinclair. Like if if they just really invested in Ring of Honor, they could really right. do a really a, a three sixty with the television product. Like it, it's ridiculous. Like if they really just put some like some real money in the Ring of Honor, dude, yes. you can literally make this. Like you can make this thing. Like it's. I mean, I think Ring of Honor is always going to have that novelty, special feeling to it, just because of the name value. But like if they really just locked in on Ring of Honor and realized that you have something that is highly regarded by a lot of people historically wise like i feel like they can really do something like really really special with ring of honor in, in uh in the next couple of years going forward yeah. right that's what i that's what i like about ring of honors they're always mm-hmm. there's always one chance that they could be back to where they want yes to, you know so yeah they, they could have been aw like that was the opportunity, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? They had the right. books, they had Kenny, they own the rights to to all in. Like, right. and it, it's it's Sinclair getting in the way, isn't it? Like, they, it could yeah. be a very different, uh, very different leader, you know. In a, yeah, they could be on TNT on Wednesdays, you know. Uh, it's, it's very uh, could be a different history if they uh, maybe put that money behind it and, and got behind those dudes. Uh, in the last right. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, Marvana, man. We're going to see what they do. But, like, I, I know they got the uh, – we all know about the partnership with, with New Japan. They got and they were sort of had something going on with the NWA. They got cut off, and then they got cut back on. So, I mean, like, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do going forward. Like, you know, as Reg mentioned, they got, they had they the, the, the pure title tournament was solid. Like, that was really that, – that was, like, really, really good. And I think they made yeah. the right choice going in with Gresham. So, like – and I feel like he's going to end up leading them going into the future. So it's right. gonna be interesting to see what they do, man. Like I'm, I, 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 I think Ring of Honor is still, yeah, Ring, Ring of Honor is still hot. It's always gonna be, you know, relevant. But exactly. I, I feel like Saint Clair could do so much more with them, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, nobody wants to see uh, Alex Shelley waking some guy up on the front row again, do they? So hopefully, uh... <laughs> <laughs> moving forward for Ring of Honor. Oh. It's been uh, great having you guys on, Reg and Benno. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, but before we get out of here, Reg, um, I know, I know you, we mentioned your blog and stuff um, earlier, but uh, what have you been working on uh, the past couple of months and where can people check out your writings and the like? Uh, yeah, so uh, as Andrew mentioned, I've been doing articles for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I just had one. The newest digital issue, the top 50 tag teams of all time, just came out digitally like three or four days ago in that I talk about how AEW's tag team division maybe is too good to be true. And they, there's some things that, you know, they, they, they have too many good tag teams. So I've been working with PWI, um, blackwrestlance.com is my main thing. Um, I started doing this thing called the black wrestlance newsletter where I talk about all the things in, in pro wrestling featuring, black wrestlers trying to get Dave Meltzer out of here, take his job. It's going to be my, <laughs> this is all mine. Dave Meltzer, you're out of here. Wrestling observer is gone. It's all about the black wrestling letter. <laughs> of course, I'm going crazy on Twitter at righteous reg. I'll be posting about wrestling too much throughout the day. And uh, yeah, that's it. Excellent. And uh, Benno, what's going over at Grapple Towers? And aren't you back again on uh, <laughs> Up Next talking about ROH coming up as well? It's like the Benno Speaks ROH uh, week. 
I think that's literally coming out of time of release today at the time people were listening to this. So <laughs> I, I just got I just I had to take over post and get all the Ring of Honor loving. Yeah. <laughs> On the uh, on the up next uh, Patreon feed, we're doing uh, Samoa Joe's Ring of Honor title run from 2004 to 2005, and the uh, the big matches within uh, for best match ever with Braden and Davey. So I'm, I'm hyped to do that. So if you enjoyed this Ring of Honor chat, uh, definitely subscribe to their Patreon. Uh, other than that, I did uh, Music of the Mat uh, last week with Andrew Rich talking uh, the great uh, and good themes of Eddie Guerrero. Uh, that was a lot of fun, and yeah, you can check me out on uh, on Grapple Spotlight uh, each Monday. Uh, I think that's all the plugs. Uh, I suppose you should also throw in there apologies to the family of Dino Bravo as well. I'm sure he was a very progressive individual. I just need an example from the 80s. That's <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> a little disclaimer there. Uh, <laughs> the views of Ben are not the views of post-wrestling. There we go. <laughs> And, uh, I, I know if you cut me off at the start, uh, Andrew, because speaking of up next, they had their uh, oh. Survivor Series game this past week. Um, we it didn't go so well for you this time around. Man, they they cheated me. So basically, <laughs> just like just like quick 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 notice of this, right? But they they did a, a Survivor Series draft, so you had to draft your Survivor Series team, and you know basically whoever whoever had the best team, uh, you know, I guess they get a big shout out or whatever like that. So. I had Kazushko Kata, Sasha Banks, the Young Bucks, and Roosh from ROH, right? Ooh, that's this, a sick this, team. This is who I lost to. This is this is Way. And and, and Way, Way, I, if you listen to I know you listen to this way. I just want to tell you, I I, I me, me and you got beef. I just want to let you know that. But ever, but <laughs> ever stamped in Way. We got beef. Don't 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 ever think we cool, Way. Ever. I'm telling you. <laughs> Ever. Don't ever think me tight because I'm, I'm sick about this. I'm going to be sick about this. This man way picked Dave Mastiff. What? Dave, Dave Mastiff. Get out. No. And he won? And he, he won. He had Dave Mastiff on his team. And I think he had like a couple of dudes. And it, 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 it was some, some, some other random people that he picked, man. And then Braden, Braden Harrington, he picked. He he picked some other crazy. He like picked like uh, I, I guess like a bunch of people with masks or something like that, and it, it was crazy. <laughs> but like the, the chat literally gave me zero votes, zero wow. votes. And, wow. and then one one dude in the chat was like, "Oh man, it, it was Rush who screwed you." I swear I was about to block him and boot him out of the chat. I, swear <laughs> I, was, I was like, "Bro, what?" I, I, but you know what? Let me just say this: Way, Braden Harrington, David Porbin, and John Cena, we ain't tight. I just want to let y'all right. know that I'm. Well, I, I got beef with y'all into the next game show, and that's all mm-hmm. I got to say because I'm hot. I'm you- <laughs> that is a brilliant podcast, as well as subscribing to their Patreon uh, for Benno's upcoming appearance. You've got everyone's got to listen to that one of the podcasts of the year, and also waiting at Matilda, the uh, British Bulldogs. Uh, oh oh my the, god, bro! He, he picked a dog. A dog. <laughs> a literal dog, yeah. A dog in one. He picked a dog. Picked a dog in one. And no, and, and, and no l- l- listen to this. This is a crazy thing, right? We, we had to pick managers. I had Jushin Thunder Liger as my manager. Oh, yeah. This man, this man picked a goddamn dog. It got more votes than me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've never I'll seen Jushin Liger manage anybody if we're keeping it around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Liger's a better than dogs, though. Liger would be a dog hey, in the 90s. Hey, That's hey, true. Mar- you're Mar- right. Mar- Mar- <laughs> Mar- Mar- you know what? I-, I think it's time to take Ridge off the call. Now we got nice. beef, man. It's not my <laughs> Matilda. Matilda was a great manager. 
On a positive <laughs> note, Andrew, you have uh, you had, uh, had a couple of interviews since the last time we spoke. Yeah, man. Uh, I just recently put one up with uh, Myron Reed. We were talking about the restart. Yeah, r- real good talking to him. I think that was my third interview with him. It's always a good time, and uh, I'll have another one up uh, next week. And I think me and you will uh, will be back uh, in December talking some probably a Wrestle Kingdom show with uh, one Chad Gelflin. I hope I did not get his name wrong, but Chad Chad will be on the show, and uh, we're going to be talking some New Japan Pro Wrestling ahead of Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, that'll drop on the uh, 24th of December, Christmas Eve, and uh, we've got some merch out. We have a t-shirt for this show now, so thanks to everyone who's bought one so far. Crazy seeing them out in the wild, so head to Post Wrestling Store to grab one, and uh, all roads lead to postwrestling.com. Congrats to the big boss man, John Pollock, on the birth of his baby girl. I just had to get mm-hmm. that in at the end. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, me and Ben will be back on the 10th of December for the monthly roundup um, of your arrest on British Wrestling Experience. And then, like Andrew said there, we'll be back on the 24th of December, Christmas Eve. Nice little Christmas treat for you there. So thanks again to Reg. Thanks again to Ben for coming on with us this month. And thanks for listening, everyone. And we will catch you next time.